Shadows Literary License Podcast episodes. Ben Stokes here, exploring all things Collinsport, Maine, and following the likes of the Collins family, and the friends and foes, with your co-hosts, Tom Diamond, Jesse Fultz, Mickey Ray, and Keith Chalgo, Collins family, story about blood relations, literally. Welcome to the Literary License Podcast, and we're discussing Dark Shadows, episodes, da-da-da, October 1969 to November 1969, which includes episodes 853 to 855. Oh, I'm sure I screwed that up. We're doing episodes from October 1969 to November 1969. So it's 856-2893. And that will get me in the subway with $2.75. We have since slept, people. Well, it's getting a bit confused by these episodes. Um, so before we get started, I want to let everyone know that we've been nominated for a Rondo Award for two awards. Yay! Yay! For best podcast and for um, best interview with the Don Briscoe Tribute. You left one yeah. out, Tom. I left one out. He did. So I did. We've been left. Well, we're nominated. You for left two. one out. Well, nominated well, another, for the Don well, Briscoe. Got nominated for best podcast and. Tom. And I have nominated you, Keith. I went through the back door on this one for best uh, horror host of 2021. Because we love you so much, even though you okay. insult me all the time. And <laughs> and also because you hired me. And of course, I'm waiting for the latest paycheck. Not, uh, but oh, keep uh, waiting for that baby doll. Oh, though that's well. If you live long enough, anything's possible. <laughs> but uh, the bottom line is, is that, uh, and I don't want to swell Keith's head too much. Uh, they, don't worry about it. Uh, it's always that blown up. Oh. <laughs> Bottom line is, is the creator and as the host of not only the Dark Shadows podcast, but all the other stuff that's going on. Uh, it, it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous job. Uh, yeah, undertaking. And, uh, he deserves to be recognized. Oh, I recognize him every day, but and, that doesn't uh, score any points with him. He still insults me. Well, that's <laughs> well, he has to keep you in line. Yeah, uh, I, I know. I well, you know. Him. But, we can agree uh, to disagree. I still love of everybody. Course, of course. But the bottom line is that uh, he has, uh, it, 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 it's a tremendous, tremendous following. Uh, and I understand uh, that subscribers, there are over 3 million subscribers worldwide. Uh, I don't know, what's the latest figure, Keith? It's 3.5 million now. Wow. And that is an unbelievable achievement and uh, i personally believe and i personally professionally believe uh, that 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 should be recognized yeah, so so i slipped that in and uh and then and i would like to encourage and i also want to thank you guys uh for the briscoe the briscoe tribute uh it was a it that was, was a, an excellent tribute it made me cry i don't know if it was just the the amy grant music really got to me at the end of that everybody needs to listen to the don briscoe uh tribute it was excellent to all of our dark shadows people out there and if you're not please give it a listen it's really good 
Absolutely, and that would be under number 27, which would be special recognition. Uh, the, uh, the Amy Grant thing, of course, was Keith's edition. And that just gives, goes to show you. The, that was uh, just really sad, the, though. The marvelous teamwork. But it's a tragic story. No, we got his family, his friends, his girlfriend, or was his fiance came it on. It was his ex-girlfriend. It was his ex-girlfriend. And it was just such a sad, such a, it was just sad. And he was such, he was so beloved. I mean, he's one of my favorites on, on um, all of these shows. I just really loved him. And it helped that he was extremely good looking as well. He did. Yeah, there's eye candy. <laughs> you don't get too much eye candy on Dark Shadow. So let me have my, you know, little thing here. Yeah, he had enough of those. Uh, he had enough of those pictures without his shirt. Uh, competed with David Selby. He was just what well, he just had these cheeks. I don't know. He was cute. He was like the boy next door. He just seemed so sweet, you know. And when he was a vampire, he was I just so got a thing. I have more of a thing for him as a werewolf. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I thought Alex Stevens because he was the werewolf. I know Alex. Yeah, poor Alex. But uh, he did a good job too. But the bottom line is, we're very, very happy. Uh, I, I mean, I'm thrilled uh, that that was uh, that that was, that's in the process of writing votes. And uh, and if he wins, there will be no living with him. That's uh, I'll, I'll I'll try to fix you. <laughs> Just kidding with you. I'll open, I'll open my drawer. Yeah, I think it was an excellent interview. I, I like I said, thank you, thank you, Vicky. Excellent and interview. Thank you, and, uh, and and thanks for going along with it. I think one of the things with with the teamwork here is that we're in, that we're able to have creative uh, ideas, and I think Keith did that from the start. Uh, where he just said, uh, you know, discuss it with him, and he says, yeah, I like it. Go with it. And I think that's, uh, you know, there's, there's no, there's a lot of democratic stuff here. There's no mm-hmm. dictatorial, and uh, there's no laissez-faire either. Everybody works very, very hard, uh, especially with the Dark Shadows thing, where we are doing forty to forty-three episodes of the clip now, and uh, that's twice the work that we did uh, before. So uh, it's. Uh, but it's but it's all the brainchild of Dr. Chago Chago over there, and uh, so I'll shut my mouth now, and because uh, I think I've swelled his head off and uh, long enough. Uh, he's sm- he's got that Cheshire smile, like Cheshire cat smile right now. I know that smile. I think he's blushing. Kind of looks like the Grinch. <laughs> Are you blushing a little bit there? Is your zygomatic arch filling up with blood? <laughs> there? I don't have any empathy and I have no feelings. So as we go further, well, <laughs> we got special guest Barbara Venkatarum. One of our favorite authors. Barbara Venkatarum. Oh, wait, do it again. I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. Say it again. Barbara Venkatarum. Random. <laughs> I mess it up every single time. I look forward to it. <laughs> Say your name again, Barbara. Ben Cataraman. Big ramen noodles. Right. Sorry, I just can't get my little Caucasian mouth around that word. They got three times this. It's oh, not God. easy. <laughs> if your name's if your name's not Smith Jones or Jackson, I'm pretty much I massacred every single one. I know. We have, I a, um, we have a person on our book, this Leandro Ghazi, and it's taken me about a year and a half to get <laughs> Ghazi right. <laughs> That's easy, though. Yeah. yeah I don't know. My brain sees words in a different way, sort of thing, unfortunately. So, um, so Barbara, what have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? 
Well, I'm writing a book of short stories in the O. Henry style where there's a twist. Um, Some of them are, I guess they could be qualified as a little bit horrible (laughs) in the Mm -hmm. horror genre and some just for fun. And um, I'm I'm with the publisher now, Next Chapter, and they're going really wide. They're about to sign a contract with China and the... And Dubai, so that's pretty exciting. Very. I don't know how much they like cozy mysteries and things like that, but we'll find out. I've read a couple, of, bu- I've read a couple like of books by them. I've, they've sent me books to review, and I reviewed a couple of books from that company. So they're, they're good. They got, you got yeah, there's like some good them. authors that you're in company with there. Yeah, there's 200 authors, I think, or maybe 250 now. But That's yeah, great. They're, they're actually based in Japan. So it says, if you ever need to sue us, you have to do it in Japan. <laughs> I go, I don't think I'll be suing you to sue us. <laughs> but uh, yeah it's been great so just that's that's a fun thing to do well you never know where your audience is coming from we're like this is true like we're like number one in indonesia and places like that or paraguay (laughs) Paraguay, central america south america yeah, I'm trying to remember what kept, Singapore kept coming up on my phone the other day. I go, lots uh, of Singapore. Singapore. That's so yeah. interesting, right? It is the demographic. Yeah, you never know when you're going to connect with people. No, you don't. Uh, yeah, most, and we got we have a huge um, fan base in the Middle East because we did a song because we our closing one of our closing credits I uh, used um, for Dark Shadows last. Did you get our song banned or some stuff like that? The song got banned in the Middle East because I use "Put Your Hand in the Hand of the Man Who Stills the Water." Yeah. <laughs> so and it got banned there. So I, got, I had a bunch of people Kuwait asking me where they could get Download it off the music. YouTube getting it up somewhere else, and oh. they were getting it from somewhere else. And so the numbers instead of YouTube were going up like this. In the Middle East were going up somewhere else in another platform. So it's quite it's quite funny when things for people who don't know. If you have a VPN and you log in under that country, you can get their stuff, just so you know. So, <laughs> so but yeah, I'll be looking forward to the Henry book. Let us know when that's coming out and post it the time. And yeah, cool. I'd like to get you up for a review. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm an old Henry fan. You know, get yeah. the Magi. So you can't beat that. That's so a, that's like a, that's a, that's a cool. That, that is cool because I like O. Henry. Stuff. I'll hit you all up for a review. How's that? Yeah, <laughs> Will do. All right, yay. And, of course, we have Tom Diamond with us. So what have you been up to, Tom, since last time we spoke to you? Well, watching a lot of uh, old TV. I took a little bit of a break from school, and now I'm back. And uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Is Is that uh, good? Everybody keeps talking about it. it. I've not started watching it yet. Yep, yep, love it. It's, It's in its fourth season now, and it is now streaming every week on uh amazon prime and uh it's a uh and it's really and it's really cool um and of course uh waiting for outlanders is coming out in a couple of weeks is it Out, march, outlanders right? march 6th march so i gotta 6th. get my my two-month subscription or whatever three-month subscription to stars so i can watch it they cancel it. <laughs> absolutely absolutely and lost in the space i have to catch up with the last season of lost in space yeah i still gotta catch uh, up with that one too is, uh, and uh star trek discovery i've watched the first couple episodes of the fourth season star trek is really really running wild 
<laughs> and I believe in May, uh, Strange New Worlds is going to start, and that's the uh, exploits of Christopher Pike. And oh, young, really? Yes. And I young, didn't hear about that. Yep, May 5th, I believe, and the young Spock. And uh, they've even got characters playing Uhura and uh, someone else. I thought, I'm not sure whether it's... Oh, Dr. Mabenga. Dr. Mabenga's okay. on there. Dr. Mabenga was the third season doctor when uh, McCoy had to take a rest in the original season. And this all kind of spun off from, the, the, from that one pilot? Uh, it's it 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 kind of that was part of it and the other one was in discovery in the second season they brought uh christopher pike on they brought the 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 actress anson mount mount i believe and they brought him on in the second season of discovery and uh along with uh along with the spot character and people went nuts when they saw that uh because uh spock is the uh half brother of um, the uh, the female the female commander and I'm blanking out on her name, um, but um, oh Michael uh, Michael Michael something like that. But anyway, uh, uh, so uh, there's and there's other good stuff. The only thing is, is now the uh, everybody they're all raising the prices on the uh, platforms. And I mean. Uh, what is it? Amazon Prime's going up. Uh, what? Netflix is going what? up. What? Yep, 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 yep. I yep. didn't see any of that. I yep. didn't see well, any then of you're, that. Then you're lucky because Netflix. I why think, is it going? Why is Prime going up? I mean, how much money do they need? Yeah, everything's, going, everything's going up by one or two or three. Two dollars or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Uh, why? Because the, <laughs> why? Because we like you. <laughs> I mean, I like the service, but you know, uh, it is it is something to be dealt with. Um, but uh, and so that's the one negative. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, positive stuff coming on there, and I just started my PhD coursework again, and uh, and I am uh, got some irons in the fire. So uh, and really, really wigged out over the over the rondo possibility uh they're <laughs> they're gonna have they're having their ceremony in person this year yeah. if we get lucky in lexington kentucky and i believe that's we get happen. lucky i'll see you there yeah i'm gonna go down there <laughs> sharon and i are gonna go down there uh in june i believe mid-june uh so that'll uh, be a lot of fun so that's what's happening with me and now i'll shut my mouth and uh back to you keith and what about yourself, Vicky Ray? What are you doing up to? Well, it's soccer BMX time again. Um, Other than that, I find myself watching. Well, I watched this uh, thing called, about Boris Karloff. I think I need to watch the last twenty minutes of it. It's called the oh, Man the, Behind the uh, Man Behind the Monster. Yeah, uh-huh. the documentary on Shutter, right? Yeah, it's really good. And there's a lot of stuff that I just did not know about Boris Karloff. What a life. I mean, just wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I, was, I got so interested in the, the, the stuff I found out about, like the Frankenstein monster and the mummy and all this other stuff. So I found myself rewatching the mummy and Frankenstein monster. And, stuff. and I just remember they're just so beautifully filmed. I mean, it's very pretty. I mean, just the how they color it's not color but you know what i mean that silver screen appeal 
And this but is only I, on Shutter. This is only on Shutter. Uh, yeah, you can get yeah, that on Amazon, so. if you, uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah, you get it on Amazon Prime. I got to look for that. Yeah, yeah it's really know. good. You'll like that. There's enough stuff on there. What I would do is do um, wa- get it for your free seven days. Watch all the. Do- There's some great documentaries. Yeah. Yeah, then cancel it, like the rest that, of that's what, I, that's what I that's what I do with some of them. It's like stars I do that with. It's like you know, I'll get it for seven days, watch what I need to watch, and then yeah. wait like six months because then there's nothing else I want to see on that. You heard it here, everybody. Some of these platforms are on other platforms. They're already paid for. So. Or if you're like me, you get your children's passwords to all of their stuff, and that way you don't, you don't get a letter for anything. <laughs> <laughs> but now, uh, what else was I watching? Um, but the Boris Kar- the Boris Karloff um, documentary is fantastic. I, I it's very it. good. And he I was such a lovely he was such a lovely man. And I, you know, oh, he's I, a very yeah, nice and I didn't guy. know very how nice lovely guy. he was. I mean, but he's he a very nice all the people guy. that he helped and all the and he loved he children. Did. Yeah, he was very upset about the scene the the Frankenstein monster throwing the little girl in with the flowers. Yeah, and they cut yeah. that scene, and they actually I didn't even know it existed. They showed that scene in this documentary, and apparently he was so upset about that. I guess that I can't remember the name of the director. It's on the tip of my brain. But the director was angry with him for showing some kind of rebellion on set. And so he made him carry the whatever it is, the dummy or was it? Yeah, up the the thing to the windmill like 50 times just to make Boris suffer because he was mad at him. That's but uh, that and I watched this really weird movie and I know Keith's probably heard of it. It's got called Blood Harvest with Tiny Tim. <laughs> and if that doesn't make you afraid of clowns, it's nothing time. will. It's How Tiny Tim became a star is still beyond me. Became a horror star, but my God. This is when it. he was older. This is much later on. And, you know, I think people start hurting. That, his acting didn't get any better the older he got him. No, the movies, I don't know. You either, a lot of people, like I posted it in a, in a forum and everybody loves it. So you either love or you hate it. So, I mean, because it's slow. It's, it's really it's slow. Weird, well, it's a, it's a weird tale. It's a strange movie. It's weird. Tell well, you. Hey, yeah, getting Tiny back to Karloff. I'm sorry, Vicky. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Back, thank you. Back to Karloff. Um, and I'm a fan of his. Uh, and I think his daughter is still alive. I think his daughter was the one of the big Sarah interviewers Karloff. that was on there. Yeah, she's still alive, and I think I might even have emailed her once or twice uh, years ago. Um, but uh, they did a marvelous. This is your life. No, oh, yeah, but you know, he was very uncomfortable with that. He this didn't is your like life. it. I know. No, you're he did not right. like that at all. He didn't like that at all. But he was a real gentleman about it. Yeah, and, he was. Uh, he was. Know, he just—he was a private man, and he didn't like being surprised. Uh, like I don't think that. I'd like that either. That yeah. to tell you the truth. But they did a but they did a great <laughs> job in terms came of, of cur- who came out behind the curtain. I'd be out, that's what I'd be afraid of. Yeah. They found people out of the woods. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> It's that. like uh, bring out the, the X, <laughs> <laughs> bring out one of the X's. But I mean, and he had a reunion kind of with Jack Pierce, who was the makeup guy, and uh, that's on "This Is Your Life," and that was, uh, and then Carl was saying, "Wonderful man, I owe it all to him," you know, that kind of thing. And uh, I, I, I think that uh, 
you know, I mean, the legacy that Karloff left, uh, as opposed, and, mm-hmm. and of course, there's always that fight between him and Lugosi. Lugosi was very envious of him, very envious of him. Well, he was going to be the Frankenstein monster, and he, he just he, didn't fit the bill because Boris Karloff had the face. You well, can actually see that the, the face through the makeup, and that's what made him so wonderful for the job. Lugosi made a terrible decision. He refused it. He was offered the role before Karloff, and he said, mm-hmm. no, I do not wish to play a dumb brute. <laughs> and, he, and he wound up... Uh, Playing nine from outer space. <laughs> he wound up playing Frankenstein the Universal Cycle 15 years later. I actually like that movie, though. I love Vampira, so... I think, um, I mean, with Boris Karloff, I mean, I have to sit there and say what really warmed the cockles my, you know, my hard little heart is when, he's, when he stated that the, out of everything he's done, the only thing that he loves the most is when he narrated how the Grinch stole Christmas. Stole Christmas. Yes, yes, yeah. he did love that. Yeah, yeah, he loved that. And I have to sit there and say, it's like, Pure genius. We get Barlowski in one Mr. Grinch, and we got him narrating. And that car, that animated Christmas special that's, you know, that's part of our lives would have never been anything without him being part of that. And we all four can appreciate that because we grew up with it. So, you know, we we waited probably for that to happen, you know, with Rudolph and all that stuff back then when we were kids. And in the 50s, he was actually broadcasting uh, fairy tales for the kids on the radio. He just and loved kids, didn't he? Yes, what he I, did. I mean, you wouldn't think that such a ghoul that they used to portray him in the movies be such a heartwarming guy, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, his story is just fantastic, and I'm really glad I watched it. And if anybody's a fan, and you really the, need to see what this guy was thing, like. It's fantastic. The best thing I ever saw was Target's. And that is a wonderful movie that Peter Bogdanovich directed because Peter Bogdanovich, he just recently passed, was a big fan of Karloff. And Karloff plays an aging horror movie star. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That was a wonderful, wonderful movie, you know. And he's talking about, they don't remember me anymore. I'm the boogeyman. Yeah. You know, that kind God, of thing. God, I love him. I just, yeah, I, I so miss the old timers. I do. Oh, God almighty. You know, it's in the, well, we could go on and on. Yeah, and on. let's not. Yeah. What have you been doing, Keith, besides Cheshire Cat um, smiling at us? Um, basically, I've just been working. Um, I've now got 39 contracts that I'm trying to finish off now. I just, as I think I said last week, I've signed a, uh, a three game deal with Camcon, and I'm currently writing dialogue for the new Resident Evil game that will be out in 2025, 2026. So at the moment, um, I have like eight books of the story of Umbrella and <laughs> Raccoon City. So I have to like read up on every single character in the whole back catalog from the last, I think it's been going for like almost 20 years now. At least. So, I, so I'm getting all the storylines in, taking notes and doing that at the moment. So I keep trying to catch that movie, Resident Evil, Raccoon City. I still have not seen it. Not very, not very good. Was very it's not? not? Yeah, I was, I was really looking forward to it. I decided to splash out and watch, um, watch it from home. Uh, are you gonna watch? Are you gonna watch Halo? I just wish they kind of would stick to original stories instead of doing what they're what they are. You gonna watch the Halo series? I think so. I think um, the Resident Evil TV series will be released on Netflix um, in the spring of this year, and then of course Halo. And I think sometimes 
sometimes I think TV series tends to do a bit better than they do with like, these one-off movies. Gotcha. Like, I think you get a bit more growth and stuff like that. Though I have nothing to do with the TV series. I think well, it's just computer games that I'm writing dialogue for. So, How's the situation with COVID in England now? Uh, the COVID at the moment, um, we, are, uh, we are now on the tube system, unmasked. All right. Still wearing ma- I'm still wearing a mask at the hospital, of course. That looks like that's going to be ongoing. We're, uh, we're now trialing the a vaccine that basically cures COVID. So mm. we're trialing that at the moment. And if everything goes well, that should be available in the summertime. Now, and we're also trial. We're also now trialing um, a vaccine for the cure for AIDS or HIV. Yes, that that's such that. a long time coming. So, so far, it's been showing a ninety-nine point five six seven percent success rate. Incredible. That that's just God. That 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 is so good to hear. <laughs> There's so many people. If that goes well, then um, then that will be part of the NHS. Um, um, you'll be able to get it free on the NHS here um, in the fall. What about the stealth variant and the uh, and the what is it, Delta Cron and stuff? They think that's basically uh, you know. At the okay. moment, the only thing that we're worried about is the the version of the Unicom. Um, COVID virus that you have in the States, because apparently that's the strongest one in the world, apparently. That's what they're What's saying. What's that? What's strongest, Keith? The COVID, the COVID um, Unicom that you have in the States is apparently a lot stronger than anywhere else in the world at the moment. That, that, that variant, but... The Omicron sick, but they're not they're not getting respirator sick. That's what we're finding here, so... Mm-hmm. They're getting the flu, and you know, you know, it's not a nice thing when you get the flu, you know, the flu symptoms. Stuff like I don't that. like it, being it, sick, period. I don't care what but it, it is. But, it's, but, it's, not, but it. it's not like, but it's not like the first. You know, it's not like Delta. Or Alpha. Two years ago where people are on respirators and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it's affecting older people, but flu does affect older people anyway. So, mm-hmm. but besides that, I mean, work's kind of gone back. I, mean, I think, you know, working from home is still going to be, you know, be a thing for the next couple of years anyway, which I quite enjoy doing my two days at home and three days in clinic. So it out well for me. So that's not bad at all. That's nice. Yeah, that's so nice. what we're going to do now is we're going to cut to Tom's bloopers and um, special information from Dark Shadows in these episodes. And we'll be right back. Hello, everybody. We are once again back here. Tom Diamond with the stars and bloopers for the Dark Shadows 8.56 to 8.93. Those are the episodes. So let's get to the stars first. So in 8.59, Karen Lynn appears as Wanda Paisley. And Wanda Paisley is the extra who uh, Aristide recruits does the I Ching and is murdered as a skeleton. And uh, aside from Dark Shadows, she was uh, starred in a forgettable film called Orgy at Lil's Place in 1963. So thank you, Carolyn, for participating. Next, Timothy Gordon reappears as the ghost of Jeremiah in 862 867. Nice to see him again. In episode 867, and I should mention this, we have the return of Jonathan Frid uh, after a month 
uh, of doing murder at his cathedral uh, in other venues, and he is the return of Barnabas, and uh, we find that uh, the he is returned as the doppelganger of the original Barnabas, which Angelique uh, helped him with. So it's good to see, it's good to see that. The fans were very, very upset when they thought Barnabas was killed off a month prior. Okay, 868 brings uh, the extra of Alfred Hinckley as Dr. Ian Reed, who uh, treats the Barnabas doppelganger in his office. Uh, Mr. Hinckley's date of birth was 929-1920 in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and he passed away uh, on February 4th, 1979 in New York City. Mr. Hinckley was in The Doctors, Bapa Presents, and the, the Chrysler Theater in 1963, East Side, West Side, 1963, and he had a role in The Boston Strangler in 1968, which was that movie with Tony Curtis. Marie Wallace is noted for her return as Megan Todd in episode 866, and she is the wife of Christopher Burnow as Philip Todd, who is a new character on Dark Shadows, and uh, Christopher Burnow was Alan Spaulding on The Dying Light. Uh, he died of AIDS in the 80s, and uh, may his memory be a blessing. We see a ship from the producer of Dark Shadows, which has been Robert Costello from the beginning, to Peter Minor in 875 onwards. And uh, I'm wondering about that, and we'll probably get to that in another uh, episode. Now, in 877, the character of Garth Blackwood, Master of Dartmoor, is mentioned. Uh, and indeed, in 878, uh, John Harkins appears as Garth Blackwood for a number of episodes. Uh, he's a brilliant villain who eventually kills Count Patafi, and uh, Charles Delaware State shoots Aristide in the back, and so that's another way of getting rid of him. Uh, John Harkins was born... In April 5th, 1899, in Pomona Valley, California. And, uh, uh, excuse me, excuse me, he was born on April, on September 7th, 32, in, in, uh, in Michigan. And he passed away on March 5th, 99, in Pomona Valley, California. So sorry about that error. Uh, he started in Absence of Malice in 81, Birdie in 89. Being there in 79, Amityville 3D Horror. And uh, he was featured in episodes 879, 881, 883, as well as others. Episode 883 marks the last appearance of Thayer David as Count Patafi, who was killed by Blackwood. Uh, but we will, of course, see Thayer David later on in other characters throughout the series. Uh, episode 884 marks the return of Donna McKechnie as Amanda Harris in one episode, but we will see her in subsequent blocks. 885 and 886 re uh, regards 
a return to 1796, and I enjoyed hearing Ben Stokes again as Mr. Barnabas. But other than that, it was a little bit disappointing in terms of uh, Josette. Instead of history was changed, so that instead of committing suicide over widow's sale, she took poison. Um, we had the Leviathan plot in episode 886 moving forward. And the two new actors in that, uh, number one is Peter Lombard as the, as the Oberon. Peter Lombard was born uh, uh, October 12, 1935 in Spokane, Washington, and he passed on March 28, 2015 in New York. What you're hearing is me turning the pages as I go through my notes. Uh, Peter Lombardo uh, starred in The Tempest in 1982, and uh, he, had a of other, he had a couple of other movies. And he appears from 886 on. Robin Lane is the fellow Leviathan, and she appears as Haza. And she was in Teenage Tramp 73, and Incoming Freshman of 79, those are the claims to fame. The main return of uh, Patrick, of uh, Dennis Patrick, as Paul Stoddard this time, Carolyn's father, which appears in a, episode 888, uh, the, the, the wife of Liz and the father of Carolyn, of course. And uh, as you recall, he was Jason McGuire in the first year of Dark Shadows and uh, helped to get Paul started to safety back in that plot and here he is now playing Paul Stoddard which was really really interesting and finally we have an appearance in episode 893 of Denise Nickerson as Amy Jennings and uh, of course Don Briscoe makes an appearance in one episode as Chris Jennings once they get back to the present so now that we've covered that, let's get to the bloopers. So now we get to the bloopers. And we see one in 866 right away where the famous Collinsport fly flies through the um, drawing room stage to the left in the beginning of the episode. And by the way, there aren't a lot of bloopers in this block, thank goodness. Although there are a few that are definitely worth mentioning. And once again, I'm bypassing the uh, shadows of the mics on the walls and the shadows of the cameras and so forth. Unless it's absolutely necessary. In 856, you'll also notice that Thayer David, when being pushed, um, bumps into uh, a wall in Thayer David's room and apparently that's a secret passage and the, uh, the door opens up and of course I didn't think that uh, they were going to put him in there and so it does seem like an accident there's also some coughing on stage that you should look at during that episode 1861 has uh, a blooper in that Klieg lights are noted in the uh, Collinwood mirror. And uh, you'll see this throughout some of these episodes where there's just a big uh, array 
looks kind of rectangular uh, of, uh, of Klieg lights. And you'll notice that in the mirror where various characters are talking. And uh, in another episode, you can see Klieg lights in a... Uh, in a, in a uh, partition of, uh, uh, in a lamp, in a lamp. You'll see click lights in lamps, and you'll see two, uh, you'll see five or six in one, six, seven or eight in another, and it's all the reflection of the uh, click lights in the uh, lighting system of uh, shadows. 864 is noted for a couple of bloopers, but the one I want to mention, which is a famous one, is that when Pansy visits Charles Delaware Tate, Roger Davis, in his uh, studio, and uh, Roger opens the door and lets her in, and when he shuts the door, the window uh, next to him, and I think it's a the window shade, crashes to the floor as Roger shuts the door. The curtains over the window shade stay intact, but you can see the uh, window shade underneath it crashing to the floor with a clatter, a very famous blooper, and Roger actually looks in that direction as it happens and then just picks up with his lines like the pro he is. Episode 866. So if you look at Josette's portrait, up to now, there, it, it, the portrait has never been signed. But, of course, in order to help the plot of, uh, of um, Catherine Lee Scott's uh, current character, uh, the wife of the Earl of Hampshire, Kitty Soames, uh, who is being possessed by Josette, you now see for a couple of days in the lower right-hand corner of Josette's portrait uh, the name Coswell and the date 1797 to kind of jog uh, the mind of Kitty Soames into realizing that indeed she is the reincarnation of Josette. However, the idea of it being painted in 1797 when in fact that portrait was delivered in 1795 still bears some scrutiny. So the writer screwed up there. But anyway, after a couple of days, as you see uh, Coswell and the date, all of a sudden it disappears. And uh, if that isn't a blooper, I don't know what it is. In episode 867, which is the first episode where you actually see uh, Jonathan in his coffin uh, with the stake through his heart, preparatory to the doppelganger Barnabas, uh, showing up and uh, that's a great scene actually uh, when uh, Edward and Quentin uh, bring the doppelganger Barnabas in uh, to look at the coffin and uh, the coffin is open and neither Edward or Quentin expect to see uh, Barnabas there and the look on Quentin's face uh, when he sees uh, Barnabas with a stake through his heart is uh, priceless but in 867, Jonathan is actually breathing, and you can see his chest going up and down, uh, as a as the stake vampire in the coffin. You know, I think it's interesting, as of 871, uh, the 49th pentagram, the pentagram of chain, 
is actually figured out by Quentin Spataffi as the uh, a particular uh, combination if he wants to return to the future. But that kind of goes against when people do the I Ching, they throw the wand on the floor and whatever and whatever wand they get and whatever combination they get, that's the one they're supposed to go through. So it's kind of like stacking the deck to say that uh, the pentagram of change, even though that's true, is a way of getting back to the future. And uh, so it sounds like anybody now can go into the future if they, if they hit the pentagram of change. And that's what Patafius Quentin does in, in order to appear at Collinwood in, uh, in the 20th century in the drawing room. And that's a really chilling scene. That's a very chilling scene. And it's unfortunate that they only kept that for a minute. And you see Catherine Leigh Scott now as Maggie Evans uh, hearing something's wrong and going down there. But uh, the wands are strewn on the floor uh, before, and, and, and of course, Patavius Quentin is very, very mad at the whole affair. There are a number of characters that are killed in this block, finally. Uh, Beth winds up, of course, history's changed, but Beth winds up uh, falling to her death from Widow's Hill in an attempt to escape. Uh, Quentin, who has since recovered his uh, mind, uh, of course, he and Patapi had exchanged minds, and, <clears throat> and he was able to get that back. But Beth didn't know that, and trying to get away from uh, Quentin, who she thought was Patapi, she threw herself off with his hill. She makes one more, uh, Terry Crawford as Beth makes one more appearance as a ghost in a later episode of this block to tell Quentin she forgives him. But that indeed is the last appearance of Beth. You also see a number of other characters killed. You see Aristide killed. Patafi is killed by Garth Blackwood uh, in a big fight, which burns the um, which burns the house down, which is going to be Maggie's cottage. A hundred years later, you kind of wonder how that happened. Uh, so obviously, the house must have been rebuilt. Uh, and uh, you, so, so you have a number of characters being killed off. Evan Hanley is killed off. As Humper Dowling is straight out. And uh, all this is, but that's not the last thing you see of Humper Dowling is straight out because he will come back as a character in another block, and that will be very, very interesting to see. 879 has an interesting blooper while Quentin is, fine, is fighting with Garth in the cemetery. You actually see the tombstone or headstone of Carolyn Collins Stoddard. And I think they were doing some stuff in advance because in a block later, later on, uh, you're going to see uh, Dark Shadows will go into the future in 1995. And that is something for the fans to look forward to. And uh, that headstone of Carolyn Stoddard is a reference. But for her to have a headstone in 1897 is obviously impossible. That's a big one. Now, of course, in episode 880, we see that uh, Trask finally gets his comeuppance. He is uh, walled into the room. Uh, Judith and Tim Shaw uh, brick, brick wall him into the room, which is a, a reminder of the way Barnabas walled Trask up in the basement of the old house in 1795. 
But if you remember when David and Amy in the prior block first discovered that the skeleton of what was Quentin, uh, there was no uh, wall and they basically cracked it, uh, broke their way through a, a panel. And then the door was right there and they were able to open it and the skeleton was dressed in Quentin's clothes. Now, of course, the skeleton will be dressed in Trask's uh, priestly uh, or reverend clothes. And this goes to show you that Barnabas, by coming into 1897, changed history completely. And so it is now at Trask that is walled up. And that is basically the writers and the court and critics realize that they're going to keep on because of the popularity of David Selby. So they had to switch gears, and instead of Quentin being walled up, it's now Trask. In episode 881, you can see Roger Davis's Charles Delaware Tate trying to stifle a laugh as Garth Blackwood is emoting and talking about uh, how he's going to kill, uh, who, how he's going to kill Patafi and so forth. And uh, he, he, he kind of hides a grin and he bends his head down. So look for that one. And he recovers, recovers very quickly. Uh, and that's a tribute to Roger as an actor. Also in 881, uh, and I remember Pansy, uh, Charity Trask has been possessed by the spirit of Pansy Faye, and that's going to be there forever. But uh, Quentin still manages to call her Charity at one point. But in every other reference to her in that scene, he calls her Pansy. So that was probably a slip. Big blooper in 883, while uh, Quentin and Charity are talking, you see on uh, stage right a stagehand who is dressed in black who moves quickly into the camera range and just as quickly out of the camera range. Again, in, 18, in episode 1884, you're going to see a clean light uh, above uh, the Charles' studio. And remember to look for the click light, by the way, in the column, in the mirror of the foyer at Collinsport. There's a nice big click light that is uh, that is shown uh, when the camera focuses on the mirror. 887 has a great blooper. Uh, they had gone back to 1796 for two days and then returned to the present. Uh, but in the exposition of uh, episode 887, they showed uh, they panned around the old house in 1796. And what do you see on the coat rack? But the coat of 1969 Julia Hoffman, which has no business in the year 1796. And of course, once they get back to the present, you see Julia taking that same coat and going out with it. It's a gray check coat. So watch for that. That's a good one. That was 1887. Uh, that was episode 887. And in 886, not that it's a blooper, but it is the first time that Jonathan Frid bites Grayson Hall as Natalie Dupre during the uh, 1796 flashback. So finally, Grayson Hall got hers from the big guy. Episode 887 has the blooper of uh, being able to see six Klieg lights in the um, in the in the light uh, that is uh, covered by an 1890s uh, kind of bowl 
you can see six clear lights, three plus three plus three in the left one, two plus three plus one in the right one. And uh, that is extremely trivial. But what it goes to show you is that essentially uh, the show could not avoid showing those reflections of cleat lights uh, when, uh, or other lighting whenever there was a reflection on any of the uh, equipment on the actual set that was able to promote a reflection of cleat lights, including the mirrors that we talked about earlier. And so that's a sample of some but not all of the bloopers in um, that in that particular segment and uh, again there aren't as many bloopers as there were in prior blocks uh, but there were a couple of big ones that we're interested to see and now uh, thank you very much for listening and let's get back to the show Hello, welcome to the Literary License Podcast, and it's Dark Shadows episode, where we'll be discussing episodes from October and to no- October 1969 and November 1969. And scene one will be Patafi's story. Patafi gives Quentin a ring. He then blinds him and then cures him to show off his powers. Patafi's mind is taken over Quentin's body so that Patafi can have a body to inhabit in 1969. Armistead finds a wand... Um, finds a woman, Wanda Paisley, on whom Patafi may test the eye. Iching Wan. Sorry, it's always Iching. I always want to say Iching for people. I know. Iching, Iching. Iching. In Quentin's body, he convinces Evans that he, Patafi, is in Quentin's body. Um, they pretend to have a hold of ceremony. He then forces Evans to dig a grave. While in Quentin's body, he watches Charles Delaware Tate use the Iching Wands in a ceremony. And he enters the Chang trance and moves through the door to the Collinwood present. He demands that Barnabas returns the portrait of Quentin. Charity attempts to steal his glasses. Patuffy recalls Ar- Armistead being pursued by Gareth Blackwood, a sadistic prison master from England. So, Tom, what is your thought of Patuffy's story <laughs> in this plot? Well, what a mouthful. Well, the first thing that I want to emphasize was is that uh, in the last, uh, in our last uh, block, uh, something happened that there were just so many things to talk about that we neglected to mention the fact that Barnabas was staked in the last block. That was a very, very, that was a very, very kind of sentinel event where charity staked, uh, where charity is a pansy, uh, staked Barnabas after Quentin tried to do it and couldn't. Uh, and, uh, that was actually Jonathan took a month off to, uh, portray, uh, the lead in Murder in the Cathedral. So he was on tour while, uh, while, uh, they had other people, um, where they had the other stars, uh, sub in. But, uh, fans were going nuts when that happened. Uh, fans cried. There were no suicides. I could uh, see why, though. That was disturbing. It's like, oh my God. Couldn't believe you know? it. Massive cliffhanger. They, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't. Barnabas getting steak. What's going on? They thought right, for, for the right. show. You know, there was a big, uh, there was a big hullabaloo. And, uh, so in this block, he comes back and, uh, and we know that it was the, the doppelganger plot was used. Uh, and it was a kind of a nice, uh, special effects scene where, and, you know, where Angelique, uh, 
uh, threw dust at the mirror and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And his, his image was captured in the mirror. Uh, and uh, you first see him as a vampire. And then when Angelique mouths the words and everything, all of a sudden uh, there's a kind of a white light. And then you see him turn from the green, the green ghoulish vampire to a normal uh, complexion. Uh, almost oil of a lay. And, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and so quite frankly, so that is something to be mentioned. Do, do, do any of you have any comments on that, uh, before we, uh, before I proceed to I the. Thought, I, I thought it was quite nice to have Barnabas out of the picture for a little while. Yeah, let everybody else. Characters, some room shine. to grow. It left a bit of mystery. It gave us something different with him as well for him not, you know, that, you know, Absolutely. Well, I have to say that no one seemed to be mourning his death very much. <laughs> just kind of like, and I found, you know, I have to say in this block of episodes, there just seems to be, you know, I because we are closing up the eighteen ninety seven storyline right. block, right. but in and you know, and like the seventeen hundred storyline, we do get a succession of people being killed off in succession, and yes. You know, Yes, we'll be discussing with it later. With it seems like they go, and it's like okay, they're gone. <laughs> Beth commits suicide, comes back as a ghost, uh, throws herself off Widow's Hill. Um, Why does everybody want to jump to their death and splat like that down there? It's like everybody wants to jump off that cliff. It's like I she don't... tripped in order to get away from Quentin, who she yeah, thought was because well, she still the coffee. the coffee, so on and so forth. Yeah, I know, but, but they had... always but... go to that cliff. Well, what he... I, well, it's the only cliff in town. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if there's they, a cliff the next I town over in case of, it's taken I, up, you know. Yeah. If there's so a line, the it would have this, What I quite liked is the way that we will discuss it, you know, in a couple scenes later on is how they were able to bring him back. And that made everything very, very interesting. And it made the made the audience start second guessing what the hell was going on. And I well, we were that. so pleased to see him back. And uh, we didn't know how that was going to be explained. And that's that scene where, of course, Edward thinks he's the Edward thinks he's uh, that they, you know, and it's amazing to me that nobody ever thought of taking the stake out of his heart. That would have been the one way to revive him right away. And nobody Don't everybody it. know you're supposed to stuff their mouth full of garlic and you're supposed to cut their head off. Does everybody That's, just forget everything? That I, I think, think would have Well, been, I also think that I don't think there's not a lot of beheading going on in daytime television. The censors wouldn't have allowed it. <laughs> the censors wouldn't have allowed it, I'm afraid. So tame, so tame. But, but that scene was marvelous. And of course, you know, you had Sybil Weinberger's music uh, of shock and surprise and uh, Robert Cobert, where. They open the coffin expecting to find it empty and they've got the gun poised to his heart. And Edward says, if that coffin is empty, use that, use that gun, Quentin. And Petafius Quentin says, with pleasure. And then you open it up and then you see Barnabas with the stake. And then you see the other Barnabas, a great double, double effect. And the look on, on Selby's face is, is pure. It's so, it's gold. It's really gold. I mean, Petafi thinks he knows everything. Right. And, and Petafi loves to be in control. Well, this is something new for him. And he just like, what? You know, that kind of thing. And you know, of course, Edward is apologizing all over the place, but it, it, but it's a great scene and probably one of the best 
Scenes in Dark Shadows, and it was in Mary O'Leary's recent documentary. That's one of the first scenes that uh, she has on there. So, but get, but getting back to scene three, um, so you know this is of course the this is of course the Patafi switches minds with Quentin, and uh, I think Selby did a great job uh, as Patafi. I love Thayer David, and I you know and and he is so good as Patafi. I have to say, Thayer David makeup makes him look like Mrs. Beasley from Family Affair. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. What's with the wig? I could almost get the Coke bottle glasses, but what's with the wig? <laughs> I mean, we all remember the '60s and the '70s for the most part. Here, I don't remember hair like that. Patafi, Not even on Jerry yeah. Garcia. Thayer David was a, is a great actor, and I love great Jerry. Ben Stokes, great, uh, great you, Batafi. I don't think he did very well being. Thank you. Just as Batafi being Quinton. That's what I was going to say. I agree with you 100%. That was a little difficult. That was a though. little disappointment. That was a little bit of a disappointment. I thought he did really good. He had to pretend he was somebody else pretending to be somebody else. I thought it was kind of good. Well, no, I thought, but I thought that David Selby being Patafi. Was much better. I thought. I thought he was. He was just. Selby's he, he, he was super. He was relishing every moment of. He that. was super. You know, that's one thing about Selby. He can play the evil character very well, and also when he's doing the 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 ceremonies and chanting, and he looks up to the sky, and, uh, and the devil, and, and he's and he surprisingly was. I didn't expect that out of him until I watched the episodes uh, again, because of course I watched them when I was uh, back when I was a kid, uh, but. Looking at it on the big screen, and you know, Patafi, I think that Selby did a great job as Patafi, and uh, he really scared the hell out of everybody. He yeah, was he was evil incarnate, and I really wish convinced. when we were interviewing David Selby that I would have asked him about Count Patafi, I could kick myself now. Well, maybe we'll interview him again one day, you never yeah, know. Yeah, maybe we'll get a hold of him you know, before this, but um, but and, and you know, and again. Uh, okay, so Evan Hanley, I, I think is, uh, I, I think, although <laughs> Humber Allen straight up can do a great job, uh, when he, when he chants too, but I think already it was getting kind of old with, with, with Evan Hanley, uh, everybody, you think it played its course? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why when Evan Hanley was killed, I said, well, okay, finally, bummer, Humber- <laughs> bummer. He will come back, and the next character he plays when he comes back will be a surprise right. to the new fans, not to the not to the old fans. But he will portray one of the favorite Dark Shadows characters. There will be a reprise, and I'm not going to say anything more. So let's, uh, you know, let's let's stick to that. Um, now let's talk about honesty's eye makeup. I mean, was Laura was Laura Parker doing his eye makeup for him, or did or <laughs> was he, was he have a thing? Whose eye makeup? Honesty. I mean, basically. I, oh I, God! I mean, don't get me going. Between that and the smoky eye and the guy liner, you're just like okay. I mean, I hate well, it when I mean, guys could do smoky eye better than me. It's just really annoying. They really miss. Well, don't you find it annoying, them. Barbara? <laughs> by the by, the end of this with his little page boy haircut and and the smoky eye thing, it basically looked like he's turning into Louise Brooks. So, <laughs> <laughs> they, I, I'm going to say it again. They really miss something with Stroker because Stroker looks like Fred. 
He and does. They and they could have had him as the younger brother of Barnabas. You something. Know, kind of, they could have had him as something, but instead uh, they give him this. But he gets rid of the dancing lady, uh, that wooden sword, and now he has a regular, uh, now he has a regular knife uh, when, he sta- when he stabs Patafi with it. Um, and they were able to bring back the skeleton again. <laughs> That same skeleton. That's in another one. Yes, that's the other one. Oh, and uh, Garth Blackwood, and that's from Dartmoor. He's the prison master from Dartmoor. He played played Johnny. Johnny? King Johnny. No, no, that wasn't. No, King Johnny. Isn't that him? Is that the same actor? No, no, no. Just like him. King Johnny Romano was Paul Michael. Uh, Why does he look just like him? This guy, Garth Blackwood, was played by John Harkins. And I thought John, they were same one. And and John Hart and, and and I got to tell you, he was he he was and he tried to get that Scottish accent in there a little bit, you know, uh, you know. I am the master of Dartmoor, and I have come to get to, to justice will be done. You he know, had you issues. Know. He definitely <laughs> had issues. Well, I didn't even think of he was trying to be Scottish. I was like, okay, what accent's that? <laughs> He did some other stuff too. I'm, I'm blanking out on it after Dark Shadows, but but that was certainly. And I think Harkins came back in another character, and you'll see that uh, in a you know you'll see that later on. But uh, I I think he did. Uh, you know I think he he was a really menacing villain. He did. I wouldn't want to meet him in an alley. Uh, on, on a dark street, and uh, he and Patafi had the eventual fight, which led to the death of both of them. And uh, the only thing was, is that the the house, and this was in Charles Delaware Tate's house, which which was the same set that's used as Maggie's house in the present. So that all burns up and so forth, and the, the house is in ruins and disheveled. And now you take a look back when they go back to 1969, and it's in this block. The house looks perfect. So, I, you know, I don't know. It must have been rebuilt. What happened to Donna McKechnie? Who? Once. Amanda. Amanda Harris. She was, she was in one episode. She was in she one episode. She is so beautiful. What she happened one, to her? She was, she was in there, one episode. She went to New York City. Everyone wanted, everyone wanted the jumper bones, and then she just She went gone. to New York City. She went to oh, New York City, and Quentin went to New York looking for her. It's like, what happened to her? And, and there's a brief scene between the two of them, and she's so thrilled he's there, and he has to tell her it can't work out uh, because he doesn't know where the... Uh, the what you would call it, the portrait is, and, you know, and, he's, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to. Well, that portrait it. really did kind of get lost in the shuffle a couple times, didn't it? Well, it, it turned it turned out that Charles Delaware Tate painted white over the yeah. portrait, uh, but. I thought that there was a discontinuity because I thought that when Quentin was Quentin, when when Patafi as Quentin was going to go into the future, he packed a bag and he told Charity to bury it like a kind of a time capsule. Yeah, he did. And I, and I could have sworn he put the he put the uh, what you call it. He put the portrait in that time capsule. So now all of a sudden it's in Charles's house, and I don't see how the hell that happened. Uh, you know, so that's maybe another discontinuity. Maybe the writers forgot it. I'm sure. I vaguely remember how he got that. I don't remember how he got it, but he got. I, gosh, that is a good question. I know what episode to look for it though. 
Good for you. Good for I'll, you. I'll figure it maybe, out. And maybe an enterprising fan will, will write to me saying, how dare you say that? It was, uh, this was at line 659 of uh, episode 680, 686. Well, that granular we don't get. But um, I, I thought that the... I'm trying to remember. I, I, I kind of wish that they had kept Patafi on. And now you, you would disagree with me, Vicky. But I kind of wish that they had kept Patafi in the present. Somehow Patafi comes to the present and starts, and starts uh, instead of the, well, instead of the It was the just Leviathan. a frustrating villain, that's all. Just like any t- he always was ahead of everybody. And, yeah. he, and he just couldn't ever seem to thwart him in that hand. Oh, my God, that hand. The hand was everything. The hand. When, when, I, in, I, when, when the problem with the coffee is, is that to have a good villain, they should have some kind of chink or some kind of weakness. And unfortunately, the coffee had no weakness. And so, and sometimes well, he, he didn't kill Johnny Romano. You kind of need a little okay. bit of a weakness because that helps you identify with that villain a little bit. He, he did in the beginning because Johnny Romano was the one person that. Patafi could not harm because this was because Johnny Romano, when he when he uh, confronts Patafi and everything, uh, you see Patafi tries to use the hand on him and uh, Johnny Romano grabs it and he's and he's as weak as anything. He can't do anything. He's he's immune. Romano. So that was his weakness. But then it was taken away when Johnny Romano was uh, killed by Aristide. So at that point. The next time you see a weakness is when his uh, hold and possessing Quentin is starting to be weakened. The power of the hand transfers from Patafi to Quentin. In fact, Patafi wants to make Barnabas a vampire again, if you remember, and he touches Barnabas and nothing happens. That's because Quentin now has the power. And when Quentin realizes he has his that, then he, then that's how Quentin is able to transfer his mind back to Patafi because right. now Quentin uses the same trance. So uh, that's a story. That's a story there. And we also get the death of Aristide as well. So um, the death of Aristide. Yeah. I know you guys like Aristide, but I found him most annoying sometimes. Well, I, I quite liked him, but I thought at first he was quite a strong character, but then it got to the point where... They didn't really do a lot with him. I, they think, made it, him. I think it's not for the Dark Shadows curse, because what happens with Dark Shadows is like, it has all these great characters, but then when they start to have to move them around in this chessboard, some of them kind of get left away for a while, and then they disappear, and then when they come back, they tend to sometimes to be a little bit weaker or Something's going on with them that they that the writers have lost concentration with that character a little mm. bit. Barbara, and, I have a question for you from a writer's standpoint. What do you think of all these plots? All these like like he's got like seven plots interweaving, interconnecting, all going on at the same time in the soap opera environment where there's this production and things have to be get done every day. Uh, how hard is that from the writer's standpoint? How hard how hard a job is that? Well, you should really ask George R. R. Martin, who juggles a lot of balls. But um, in my opinion, I mean, every character and their their you know their personality and their their storyline is like a quiver, you know, an arrow in your quiver, and you can always take it out when you need it, put it back. You know, sometimes I say, oh, I need a character who can fill this plot hole, and it turns out to be somebody you know maybe I thought was minor, and then they turn out to be a major character. But I was thinking about, but you know, you 
and Vicki both said it was a soap opera and it, it really is a soap opera. So the characters are constantly leaving and coming back and changing. Yeah. But um, I also thought of it as like the parent of Supernatural where people yeah. die, they come back as a ghost, they come back as whatever. And also I was thinking of Orphan Black where she has to play a character playing another character playing another character. Yes. And so I really feel like the, the influence of Dark Shadows is really understated and uh, unappreciated when you look at what came after it. You know? I agree with you. A lot of I, people, like Twilight Zone, how many people, how many plots have been ripped off from Twilight Zone? No kidding. But Out of limits. That, um, it was just um, so, so overly dramatic, but yet it went, that it, it was so popular for so long, and now back to Dark Shadows. You know, it, it really spoke to people, uh, you know, their, their fears. I mean, I was eight years old when this first came out and I remember the one you know I accidentally saw Dark Shadows on TV and it scared the crap out of me I I used to sleep with like a t-shirt around my neck so like the (laughs) did you really I did my mom was like what are you doing and I said no that's great so Dark Shadows is coming to get me (laughs) we have a history and Barnabas you know I thought he was like I liked Barnabas the best. You know, no matter who came and went, he was he was the guy I liked. But uh, yeah, it you know it's confusing to have so many characters. I mean, just reading the plot summaries, you're just like, who? Yeah. <laughs> or that, or they're a person who used to be someone else, and now they're they're you know in the future, in the past. I mean, well, the repertory company gave too. themselves so much leeway to just do whatever the heck they wanted. Like they. They're like, okay, let's just kill this person. Then we'll bring him back as a ghost. Then we'll, you know, turn him yeah. into a vampire. Then we'll turn him back out of a vampire. And so it gave they them a lot, live. a lot should, of lives. And people liked it, you know. It was, I should say, I should say that when I talk about, when I refer to it as a soap opera, you, you really, it has certain melodramatic elements in it, uh, yeah. which are reminiscent of, but it was not the usual soap no. opera that was on in the 60s Not where boy either. meets girl boy gets girl pregnant boy marries girl boy divorces girl in dark shadows it's boy meets girl boy bites girl yeah boy girl the vampire right. then uh boy uh, pushes girl off cliff sister is a werewolf you know let me go back in time let me go forward yeah. in time let me go back in time but the themes of love and betrayal and, you know, and, and being mm-hmm. faithful and being unfaithful and tricking people. And betrayal, I mean, yes. the same as is in soap operas. I mean, it, everyone has their own agenda. In fact, that's a cardinal, one of the cardinal elements of Barnabas. You betrayed me. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, always you know, strangling like, Julia. Everybody strangles Julia. Have you noticed that every male character at one time or another has tried to strangle Julia except Edward? And for you the know, first time, or Louis Edmonds. And for the first <laughs> time, it's easier to strangle because she always wearing comfortable shoes. <laughs> and, right. and for the first time since Grayson Hall started playing those roles in the 1796 two day thing, which we'll talk about, Barnabas finally bites Grayson Hall as Natalie Dupre. Yes, and boy, finally. Julia must have. Boy, Grayson Hall must have had fun with that. She finally gets bitten by her lo- by by Barnabas, and 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 Frid really hammed it up. <laughs> he, he he really hammed that one up. They had such chemistry. Mm-hmm. I mean, as friends or whatever foes. I mm-hmm. mean, the, the the chemistry between them is just. There's no way to deny it. I mean, they were great together. 
But what I also liked was, uh, and this I thought the writers were interesting, in that they developed a friendship between Julia and Angelique that had never been no kidding before. Yeah, I was like, whoa, what's going down here? This is unusual. Yeah, decided to help each other out. I don't think Angelique was. Uh, Angelique had kind of grown uh, since uh, since. Well, if you take a look at the Angelique of 1897 near the end of this block and the Angelique of 1795, uh, you know, she Angelique is Angelique's not um, envious of Julia anymore. She realizes that she has nothing to feel threatened by. She knows that Barnabas is not interested in her that way. So there's nothing to feel threatened by. And they, they come to a, they come to a meeting of the minds. And it's fascinating to see. I, I mean, that, that is definitely unexpected. It's one of the more clever changes, I think. Well, this brings us to scene number two, Quentin's story. Quentin plays the piano for Charity and then tells her he could never play the piano. Julia starts to hear voices from the present and Angelique is puzzled by Quentin's behavior. In Patoffi's body, Quentin orders Kitty to steal Quentin's portrait. Quentin's wedding is set. Angelique decides her marriage must be postponed. In a seance, Charity calls upon a spirit to appear. Angelique visits a mysterious cave. Charity tells Angelique that Quentin is not who he appears to be. Quentin is in Pertoffi's body, tries to explain the switch to Angelique. Angelique tries to convince um, Armistead to save her. Beth discovers about the mind switch. Using Pertoffi's power, Quentin attempts to reverse the mind switch. He orders Armistead to stab Pertoffi in Quentin's body, back in his own body. Quentin is determined to leave Collinswood and tries to stay awake. To keep Patafi from possessing him again, Barnabas asks Angelique to help Quentin. Yes, it's that confusing about who's and who's what's body. So, so Vicky, what's your thoughts on Quentin's story? <laughs> Why, give me the confusing one. Mm. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> I, I was really, well, I wasn't really surprised Angelique wanted to postpone her wedding to Quentin because I think at that point she knew that Patafi had taken over Quentin's body, correct? I believe she had been warned. Yes, she was. Either that or she didn't like how he was all over her. Because let's face it, Patapi probably hadn't gotten any in a long time. And now that he looked like he was Quentin, he was just like after all the good looking women in dark shadows that week. <laughs> but uh Yeah, he couldn't really like use his smooths, you know, his you know, his game to really like draw in the women and get what he wanted so he had kind of like use another kind of way to do it didn't he so well yeah because let's face it count Patapi's not really that pretty to look at as opposed to quentin collins because face it david yeah. selby was a lot of eye candy back then too and angelique well we angelique is fickle because you know she's always trying to force other men to marry her mm-hmm. and she's uh, such a beautiful woman they make this beautiful woman look like, she has to force a man to marry her. I mean, I find that annoying sometimes. I'm sorry. Because well, she mean, can have anybody think, she wants. I think you also have to, yeah, but you also look at Angelique as is that she's not demure, is she? And we're, we're talking about 1897. And if you're a hard, strong, you know, you know strong-minded woman. God forbid. They're not going to be really drawn to you at that time because they, about that time, women were not, they weren't people. Well, look they at Kitty. Were, 
But what the women were not people, they were owner. I mean, that's something basically unfortunately. And but look at Joan Bennett. Yeah, don't get me going. <laughs> don't get Barbara going. <laughs> but I mean, but but Joan Bennett is a real is, is a real interesting. I mean, at first they have her as a as a meek uh servile oh i love how she says and then she gets the money in the will and she turns into the master collinwood that's what happens but that's that's what happens with women though when they're young their ownership if something happens they never get married and once they pass a certain age then they become a matron which is totally different from being a woman sort of thing she married trask she married trask she fell for that like a ton of bricks well, then, uh, she'd never been laid before and she never had a boyfriend. So she How do you know her. she'd never been laid she before? Says so. She says so. She's never had to be married said, to get laid. She married class. No, when she tells about her storyline, she says she's never dated anyone. That's true. And she's never been married. She's probably she a virgin. And, and, and so, so probably uh, knowing Trask, he's probably going to keep her that way because he's running around with other women. Uh, well, he wants uh, Amanda for a while. Well, uh, she's wanted, that's right. He wanted Amanda, but just, I mean, it's not like he was going to go anywhere. Amanda wasn't going to have any of that anyway. Well, yeah. first she was, first she liked Tim Shaw. Got to remember that. First she liked That's Tim right. Shaw before she met Quentin. And then, then Quentin romanced her and right. while he was romancing Beth. And, uh, and, well, and I think who else? she's the only woman Quentin ever really loved, is she not? Oh, you know, he loved Beth. He loved Beth. Well, he loved Beth, but not with that big grand passion that he has for Amanda. That's true. That's true. But Amanda's not even a woman. Well, Amanda's a an illusion, but she's still physical. She's but he doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. I mean, that that does all come out later on. That's right. right. That's right. We'll get more into the Amanda one in the next scenes. That's right. And it turns into a kind of thing. Okay, you got Patafi. I mean, he does. He was at this point. Quentin's still trying to reverse the mind switch as well. I would. I was really frustrated for Quentin. I think he did a good job. I think Patafi doing Quentin. He did a good job because I really felt sad for Quentin being stuck in Toffee's body and how frustrating that must have been for him. It's like, it's me, it's me. It's sort of like Horton, here's a who. We are here, we are here, we are here, you know, and nobody's like, you know, but no one's realized, paying attention. But he realized that when he was telling everybody, nobody, they, they were all saying, oh, it's too fantastic. It's too yeah. fantastic. Everybody, all the characters are saying it's too fantastic. Out of all the supernatural stuff that happens to these people on a daily basis, they're a little freaked out by a mind switch. Yeah, you but know? All, these, all these characters suffer from a... Uh, like Alzheimer's, they don't remember anything that happened like a week ago. <laughs> they don't. Well, they they're really hopefully don't. in a good place rather than a bad place since you talk about Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. But uh, the but the uh, oh, and by the way, Vicky, the answer to your question is that uh, P- uh, Quentin as Patafi told Angelique the whole story. Uh, she went to see him in the uh, in, in Patafi's little stone. A dungeon or whatever, because because she's saying we had an agreement. Why are you, uh, why are you reneging on the agreement? Because she thinks that uh, she thinks that the mischief that's being worked is Patafi's doing, and then and Quentin says and Quentin as Patafi says to her, "You're the first one I should have told about this," and yeah, exactly. It. But you know something? Yeah, if he had been the if she had been the first one, we would have had this plot resolved in a week. Rather than uh, rather than a month, I mean, they wanted to stretch this out as long as they could, 
And uh, I'm kind of glad they did, only to see David Selby act the way he did uh, as 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 Petafi. And I think it was uh, it was it was it was it, in my mind it was marvelous. And I just think that although yes, you hear the desperation coming out of uh, Thayer David as Quentin, but he's not able to mimic the same stuff as Quentin that because Quentin is always very sarcastic. Right. Uh, he's always very sarcastic. As Quentin. <laughs> One of my favorite all, traits. <laughs> all the one liners, you know, uh, you know, like when Angelique says to him, I'm going to be a beautiful bride and Quentin says, yes, and I'll be a miserable groom. Yeah. You know, th- that's the kind of thing that you don't see in the yeah. writing. In, 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 in This is true. That, that is a good point. I have to admit that. Because he wasn't sarcastic, but yet, but he was so desperate. He had never been put in that kind of position of desperation. Because this is a rich playboy yes. that just doesn't have, you know, care. You now he's got all this stuff going on. Do you think this um, about switching people's minds and other people's bodies? Do you think this was like the catalyst for like Freaky Friday movies that would I, come out? You never on? know. I mean, when was that mm-hmm. first one done? Like with the. Freaky Friday was in the 70s. It was was it Boston. the 70s? That's Dirty Boston. Dark Shadows set the ground for so many things. They, it did. It really was a pioneer. So the sympathetic vampire. The sympathetic vampire of Frid. You've got the twi- you've got Twilight. You've got, you know, you, you, you've got the vampire, uh, yeah. sparkly like, vampires. Sparkly. Yeah, well, Frid wasn't as sparkly. It wasn't sparkly. I liked him in the beginning, though, when they made him look really like kind of like with the eyebrow thing going on. They really got a thing for unibrows on this show. Have you ever noticed that? (laughs) (laughs) Funny. You know, I think about um, I know when we we did Bewitched, we talk about how empowered the women were. Right. um, I think about that, you know, when you think about vampires, you always think of women as the victims. But I think. Um, the women in these shows seem um, that they are empowered a lot of the time and more so they than are. women of their time. I mean, think about women couldn't even have a credit card. I mean, you know, it's like in the real world. I mean, credit yeah. card, are you kidding? <laughs> I remember when my mom got her first mat. Remember when the MasterCard, it just had the two things on it, the circles? Uh-huh. And it said Mrs. John Ray on it. Exactly. You couldn't even have your own name. You couldn't even say Mrs. Lillian Ray on it. Well, it had to be covered, John Ray. We covered a Bewitch episode that basically that Samantha and, you know, the show was what, 1967, 60, where, where we got Yeah, to like 68, 69. And, then, um, and one of the storylines is that she couldn't go to the bank to draw money. Exactly. Right. And she couldn't have her own bank account. Right, right. So that's what I'm thinking. I mean, you know, sometimes TV goes where, you know, where it goes ahead of where society is. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, that traditionally women were always the screaming victim in, in a vampire story and always preyed upon and the prey. But right. I in this show that a lot of them are empowered. They have their own agendas. Exactly. They're, they're, they're full exactly. characters, you know, and they, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're capable of subterfuge too. Yeah. <laughs> Barbara, except when Angelique was a vampire. Oh. And I don't know if you remember that one. Now there was a very, very different, uh, kind of character she was no he was mean she was devious she was no uh she was no uh pushover what about uh, eve 
like Eve was no pushover. Yeah, he was no pushover either. And it's very interesting because that you bring this up, and it's one of the other scenes. But now, of course, Marie Wallace comes back as Megan Todd. And Megan Todd is the father knows best housewife uh, at first. Uh, yeah, it's like, dang, but what a switch. What, 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 vers- but what versatility. But I think that was more of what was kind of expected. But Judith, I think, is very interesting because first they have her as a weakling, then they have her as a control freak, then, uh, then Gregory plays with her head and sends her to the sanitarium. And Keith, what a great job they did on her. She comes back raring to go, raring to go after him. Uh, and she, uh, she pulls, uh, well, she figures out what a cad and a liar and she shows a, herself. A wretched well, human being he is. She winds up, she I mean, winds up killing him, and we're going to get into that when we get into one of the other. I wish scenes. I could that those those were. I wish I had those ideas before I got my divorce. <laughs> well, you'd wall them up. You'd wall your ex up, huh? <laughs> I mean, you have to, I mean, you also have to look at. Might have done that Julia to my ex. Julia Hoffman, female doctor, nineteen sixty-seven to nineteen sixty-nine. She's like yeah. General practitioner, she's a psychiatrist, she's a sociologist, she's, she's an archaeologist, she's, she's a an surgeon, everything. she's a lab, she's a she has a, a lab. <laughs> she can, she can and she gives everybody drugs. She's the pharmaceutical queen. She's always got sedatives. She's well, always pushing sedatives on people. You're I have to say that Joe Bennett's character always seems to have drugs on the side as well. Oh, oh she was always trying to get Vicky, Vicky drugs. She was constantly trying to get Vicky sedatives. <laughs> Take a sedative. Everybody took sedatives, I guess, back then. Exactly. Mother's exactly. little helper, huh? Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, that's where Rolling Stones must have got it from. By the way, the great blooper, there aren't too many in this one, but the great blooper is when they're in 1795 and they go back now to 1969. But they, in the beginning of the episode, they do a pan of the old house as it looked in 1795. And there is Julia's 1969 coat hanging on the rack. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yep, yep. Remember yep. what episode? Uh, the oh, I'll find it for you. That's how, yeah. I'll, just just hit know. me up with it later. Well, we do know. have we do have the timeless Afghan that travels. The Afghan is there. Oh, yes. thank you for mentioning that. And I that, have to that tell no, you, but no moths have ever eaten. <laughs> I have to tell you that the traveling Afghan had another life after Dark Shadows. Guess which show it went to? Little House on the Prairie. It did not. Yes, it did. You will see traveling Afghans in Little House on the Prairie in different places. And, and you'll you'll see it in, well and Laura's bed and by the way Catherine Lee Scott had a part in Little House in the Prairie. I didn't I know just, that. I just finished watching all nine years. Yes, she was in one of the episodes of Little House in the Prairie. I don't a, recall seeing her in it. Life. Yeah, you gotta look for it. You gotta look for it. I'll, I'll find that one. For I you. watched all, all of them. I still I still oh, love she, Little House in the Prairie. I'll turn it on if I oh, see it on. I oh oh like yeah, that. oh yeah. No, she's in one of the episodes. I did not and, know that. And the oh. other move, and, and the other movie that I happened to see it in by accident was The Prisoner of Second Avenue with Jack Lemmon oh, yeah. and. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a Neil Simon play with Jack Lemon and then Bancroft. Oh, and cool. there's a there's a an Afghan in his apartment. So yes, everybody, there is life for the traveling Afghan after Dark Shadows. But that Afghan really made the the circuit. That, that and the Collinsport fly. Yeah, the Collins. I th- I'm thinking of starting a website called the Collinsport Fly. You should. <laughs> 
<laughs> and all the college sport fly fans will get on. <laughs> I know Keith can't stand it. That's funny. <laughs> that totally went there for a second. Well, this brings us to scene number three, 1897, Collingwood. Judith returns to Collingwood from the sanitarium. Gregory Trask learns that Judith is back and made plans. Barnabas appears at Collingwood, claiming to be a relative from England. Barnabas' coffin is set on fire. Trask later confronts Barnabas with a cross. Trask asks Evan's help in influencing Judith. Judith orders Tim Shaw to brick up Trask inside Quinton's room. Trask calls Judith on Quinton's telephone and begs for mercy. Blackwood spirit seeks revenge and armistice. Blackwood. Hello, um, what's your thoughts on this part of it? Blackwood is a real bad penny. <laughs> Just keep popping up him. wherever you go. I, I, I actually, I actually love this bit. Actually, Judith I love him to death. I think without vengeance, I love Judith it. I get some proverbial balls, and actually does. But let me ask you a question. <laughs> So he, Trask could not make outgoing calls. When he tries to, he can't make outgoing calls. Yet she's right. able to call him. How'd right. they do that? I don't know how they did that. <laughs> but I guess it was just a line in. I guess they had line in, like intercom stuff back then. I don't, they probably don't know if you had that. I don't know if you had that. I, mean, I, know you I don't had think that they, they had it back then. I think she called you Alexander Graham Bell. Like the kitchen to the den or something like that. I like was kind of hoping when Trask was trying to get a hold of Judith that he was going to hit a party line. <laughs> Remember party That would have been fun. That would have been fun. And that's how he would have been. He would have been let out. And then Judith would have been arrested. For, uh, oh, no, no. She might have tried to buy her way out of it. Not but to now, mention Tim. Was it Tim? Or, Tim yeah. Sure. Uh, Briscoe. Yeah. yeah. Probably, I mean, I have to sit there and say, as we're wrapping up 1897, did you feel like when you're watching these last episodes for 1897, sometimes it felt like you were missing an episode somewhere that something's happened somewhere. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. I actually yeah. fell asleep for 10 minutes during one because I was watching about. it late at night. And I immediately had to go back and watch it because I could not go on to watch the other ones because I couldn't miss any of this. You could not miss any of this or you were screwed for the next episode. Well, so, that yeah. was why it was very complicated. The fans and, 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 and the famous story, even the writers forgot what was going on. And they went out into the street to talk to the fans and ask yeah, the great. fans about the plot line. I don't know if you're aware of that, Barbara. That's a very true story. That's a very funny story. That the writers- runners. I mean, just there's so much going on. I mean, it's like, how do you even keep these things? You know, the scenes are just, changing yeah. all the time and every one of them is you know div- different characters and there's just he didn't use storyboards but the fans he? knew but the fans knew and that was the, the thing and the, the ones who were very detail oriented stayed with the show the right. ones who were not detail oriented went back to uh tom baldwin and audrey on general hospital yeah. uh you know but um i i think we finally we finally know by the way from this block that history had really, really been changed when not only was Trask put in there, but he was walled up because in the original timeline, it was Quentin's skeleton. Yeah. And it was not walled up. Uh, if he had but do been we walled- know that, though? Did we actually, was it actually Quentin's skeleton when this first started? Yes. Uh, and the uh, reason Barnabas, is- Barnabas changed the timeline, didn't he? 
That's right. I guess he did then. So it ends up in turn being Trask. First of all, Beth is goes to her. We find out that Beth, after she dies, she goes. She's all. Forgives all it. she wants to say is that she's sorry, and that gives her that gives her spirit peace. So she's no longer a ghost. Oh, she forgives Quentin, and then she goes back to her grave. So here's what. So here's what I what I now. If you remember originally when David and Amy discovered Quentin, they had to break through a little panel. Right. There was no brick wall. And, okay. Okay. And then, well, and then they entered into the door, and Quentin opened the door for them. And the Quentin but somebody skeleton. shut him in there, though. Tom, did they not? So this is what probably happened, and the writers don't explain all of it. But in the original, when they were still talking about him in 1969, somebody mentioned that Quentin became a werewolf. And he was shot to death by a hunter in the woods. That was the original thing, because they didn't really know what they were going to do with the Quentin right. thing at this point. Then uh, we come to the, and, and, and so you can only make an inference that after he was shot, they didn't want, nobody wanted anybody to know that uh, how he died. So they, so, they put him, so they put him in the room and, uh, and put that panel in. Uh, then Barnabas changes history. And the original, kind of like two two different timelines, because in the original timeline, uh, Beth shoots Quentin dead because she's jealous. That's uh, right. Yep, you're right. I was and then she, about and then the she kills herself. And then she kills herself. Well, because Barnabas, uh, Quentin is uh, prevented. I should say Beth is prevented from shooting Quentin. Right. And so now the whole timeline is changed. And rather than Quentin's ending up there in the Quentin in the Quentin suit, by the way, because he had the tie, mm-hmm. he had the Quentin tie, he had he had uh, the Quentin uh, great coat. And in fact, mm-hmm. they did a blooper. He had a blue, he had a dark blue great light great coat most of the time. But one episode, they had him in a great great coat. I think they sent out one of them to the laundry. Uh, but um, but now the whole thing has changed. And so that leads to, they realized that they wanted to keep Selby because of the tremendous fandom. And he really did take over some of the fandom from, from, from Jonathan, who was very, very tired having to come in. Jonathan's time off. (laughs) Jonathan's time off. And so they wanted to keep him. So it had to be switched to how do they take care of who winds up? And the very nice idea is they wound up with Trask, with Trask, with Trask in the wall, and they did that wall thing deliberately to remind everybody what of the 1795 Trask, where Barnabas walled up Trask. So that's the way I see it. I find it when I'm. I think another thing is that we've also had a change of timeline when Barnabas went back originally when we got the Barnabas, you know, the originating storyline. I mean, when Victoria went back, that changed everything as well. I mean, the thing is, is like. The storyline that you're getting at the time, like Naomi's death, ended up being a, a year or two earlier, and we're like, "Oh, that's the, you know, we, that's a blooper." But maybe it wasn't because with Victoria showing up, she would have she seemed to actually speed up what 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 what, what would have happened, and a lot mm-hmm. of stuff actually changed, you know, for sure. a lot of people. And, there, what and, was your that point? With him with and it actually changed for Ben Stokes because if you remember, there was no book of Ben Stokes and what happened to Ben Stokes and stuff like this after that storyline happens all of a sudden now there's a book and a diary of Ben Stokes and he became mm-hmm. like an educated man before that he was just a servant before he went back in time. Barnabas started to teach him how to write 
And in fact, that was how he was able, with Angelique, made him mute. Uh, Barnabas wanted to know the witch's name in 1795. Mm-hmm. What Angelique didn't think of is he asked Ben to write the letter in, of, of, the, of the name in the sand. And what Angelique didn't realize is she could make him mute, but she couldn't take away his ability to write. He probably thought he was illiterate. But, he, but Barnabas taught him rudimentary stuff. And so he put an A there. You know, in fact, they made a big deal out of it because. But if first, you look at, but if you look at the simple fact, before they went back in time, there was no Ben Stokes diary. When they came true. back, when 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 they went back to the present time, all of a sudden, there's a Ben Stokes diary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. And they didn't Vicky describe that. Vicky went back and she changed. She changed history, didn't she? She changed the way. She changed the course of everything. She sped it up. She sped a lot of things up. Yep. Yeah. So like and the, she changed like other stuff. that and the Angelique storyline. She sped that up because. You know, because what One we find out, it wasn't for Victoria and Jeremiah um, falling for Victoria early on. Then um, basically Angelique had to step out and go, no, you're going for Josette. And then that's when the spell came. But Victoria wasn't there. That could have been brewing for a long time, for six months to a year. And, then, and instead of Victoria, it would have been Phyllis Wicks who was the original governess, and what would have happened had... Uh, th- that's something that's largely unexplored. What would have happened in that original timeline if well, Phyllis Wick... Phyllis, Phyllis Wick commits... I mean, was she, was she hung for a witch? I mean, uh, of course she was when Victoria came back you know, back in time, but in the original storyline, was she? I mean, she was never mentioned. They didn't know who she was. Well, no, no. Phyllis Wick, in, when they did the seance... Phyllis well, yeah, Wick, I'm talking about yeah when they went to the seance, but I'm sitting there Phyllis saying Victoria never went back in time. Would Phyllis right. Wick might never been? She might have lived a healthy life as a exactly, exactly, exactly. But because because Victoria went back to present day, that she ended up taking Victoria's place and then was hung as a witch. Right. But but in the in the to be honest, in the history book, they wouldn't know who Phyllis Wick was anyway. She'd be Victoria no. Winters. She'd be. The, She'd be the body of Victoria Winters, really. So Vicky, Wick, so Vicky Winters indirectly caused Phyllis Wick's death by changing history. Right. You know what I find so interesting is that <clears throat> they say when you're writing science fiction or fantasy, you know, you you have to set the rules of that world and that place and that time. And as long as you follow your own set of rules, then you know you're internally consistent. You know, like if if time travels a thing, then time travels a thing here, but. Um, what's interesting about the dark shadows is that it's so versatile. It just changes the rules. I mean, it just says, okay, now we're going to switch minds and now we're going to go back in time. And now, you know, That's and right. everyone's just like, okay. <laughs> okay. That's right. Let's go to that one. Yeah. Well, sure. I also have to admit that what's also quite, if you think of like the original time that they did go back to, you know, 1794, by the first time um and then if you notice that when they went back to start when they went back in um into the present time 1967 that there are some characters that were missing and of course they probably were because if you look at your life if you just change one small bit in your life your life is going to be different than what it was now you know what i mean if you go back in time so so you can always so a lot of things where people go oh you know that, that may sound like bloopers or something like that but in a way, it's true though. If you just change one small thing in time, it just have it has a ripple effect through everything. Yeah, like okay. what's the name of that picture? The butterfly effect. Yeah, yeah. 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 I love that movie, by the way. Great movie. So, I mean, we say we. I mean, we tell we tell patients that. I mean, I tell patients that all the time in psychiatry. They, you know, when they're talking about their past or something like this, 
And they go, well, I wish I could go back. They go, well, I go, I always tell them, if you could go back and just change one small thing, Ugh. your life wouldn't be bigger or better. It'd just be different. So, well, Barbara, what we're going to do is we're going to let you go because I believe you have an engagement because we started a little bit late. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't leave enough time. I just I thought we'd be um, done by three, but it's there's a lot. To cover. <laughs> <laughs> a there's lot always to cover. lots to cover before and after. You can see. You yeah. can see. But um, it's always fun to hang out with you guys and dissect interesting stories. And I always learn stuff from you all. You always you, you always have the backstory and you, you, you're very um, insightful. We learn from you too. Such okay. a pleasure meeting you. Such a pleasure meeting you. Thank you. And, and um, you're and you're right in my backyard. Yeah, we'll catch you guys next time. Then Absolutely. anytime anybody Anything. wants to read my new book, I'll I'll, get, I'll send. Please it. let us know when you're done. All right, great. I'll give you. A Looking second. forward to it. Right, take care now. Thanks so much. Bye, Miss Barbara. See you next time. We'll see you in a couple months. Yay! So I think now this kind of brings us to Kitty's story. Now this is um, scene four. Um, now the reason why Kitty's story is here because this is going to lead us into 1796. So that's the reason why this is moved in. And this kind of, Kitty's story is kind of peppered throughout everything that we've covered right. so far. So what we learn about Kitty is Kitty starts to become Josette. Dressed as Josette, Kitty visits Jeremiah Collins' grave. Kitty writes a letter dating at 1796. She's entranced by the portrait of Josette at the old house. Kitty accepts Edward's marriage proposal, but later goes to Barnabas. Kitty is terrified what, you'll, what will happen if she becomes Josette. Kitty goes to Jeff's room at the old house wearing Josette's wedding dress. Nothing really changes kind of sort of in this one, does it? Because the end of Josette never really <laughs> does get to live, does she? Um, you know, the thing is that this does, um, this will lead us into the next scene for 1796 where you briefly go back there and I'm watching when I was watching this and in reflection, it, we do get the payoff. Surprising enough. I, I think, I think though that um, it, well, we're really talking about the seven, the, the two day 1796 day, which right. I, which I kind of thought was disappointing, but that's in the next scene. Um, as far as this story is concerned, um, the, I, I will hand it to Catherine Lee Scott because she's got Josette down pat. She does. She really does. I mean, you know, I still think she played Kitty Soames like Tara from Gone with the Wind, although she disagreed with me when I asked her. Well, that. I don't understand. She was supposed to, was she British? Was she an American married to a British? She's American married to a British. Okay. Yeah, she comes from Pennsylvania. Mother lives in Pennsylvania. I forget. And she talks to, and she writes letters to the mother and stuff like that. And she married gotcha. Daryl Soames, oh, here, New Hampshire. And then, you know, and that's when Patafi met them. And then there were all kinds of nonsense going on. And, and, Ger- and Gerald died penniless. He didn't personality anyway, I found. What but do you mean? In, I mean, she's, she's fine, but there's not much. I mean, she shows up. We, we, she shows up in the last block that we covered. Kind of like, okay, you know. And then as her storyline goes on, the only thing interesting about her is that 
she's becoming Josette. And that's what's interesting about it because that's what the fans want. Titty, she's not that interesting. It's kind of like, is, did, did the fans want them to resurrect Josette for another time? Is that why? I don't know if the fans wanted it, but I think that Curtis realized that they were going to have to keep. They're going to have to keep that plot in and go back to it from time to time, because that was that plot was here, weird. don't they? What's that? I mean, okay, I, I, I say what we do is let's cover, let's do the 1796 thing, let's putting it all together. Because in 1796, Angelique taunts Josette on the cliff of Widow's Hill. Josette believes Barnabas has betrayed her, and then um, then when we get the Leviathans, and then we'll get the Leviathans later. But so, so she commits suicide in her room. Does she drink poison? That's yes, what she drinks. Yeah, right? she drinks poison. And then when we get back to the present day, Josette. I mean, um, sorry, Maggie, not Naomi. What Joan Bennett's dude, Liz. Liz, Liz, Liz. There we go. Sorry, she's. I'm getting confused. Now. <laughs> but Liz is I know. back in the house because all the ghosts are laid to rest. So right. that does that mean that Josette's no longer a ghost because now she didn't she didn't fall off being scared to death or anything. But she well, killed her herself. Her, she killed herself. Find rest now. Well, I think they, the, 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 there. I think they were talking about Quentin uh, and and Beth because uh, especially Quentin because uh, those are the ones that made them uh, leave the house and live in the old house. And uh, you know when history was changed. And they had that dream sequence, I think, that uh, Jameson, I think, dreamed that that, uh, that uh, Quentin had actually killed David and uh, he was on a he was on a crypt, uh, he was on a crypt or an altar or something like that. And, and Roger is like looking down at him. All of a sudden, David uh, opens his eyes. Oh, my son, my son. <laughs> and, that's a, and that's another little thing, because I, I happened to catch the first episode for some reason. Well, what do you think we're going to do with the monster now? You know, yeah, David is no longer a monster, uh, which is a little monster, uh, which is what was, which is what the theme was. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I, that's what I think. That's what they were talking about. Um, but we're going to see later that all is not uh, all is not over with Josette. All is not over right. because Josette still is a suicide. Right, and suicide has unfinished business. Whether right. you throw yourself off the cliff or you take poison, uh, but what, they didn't really. I mean, because the the first the first Josette storyline, she doesn't. She she kind of was running away and she doesn't really like commit suicide. She kind of just falls off the cliff, doesn't she? Yeah, I think she kind of. Well, she got scared. I mean, she was frightened, and she saw you know, and Joe or uh, uh, yeah, Angelique kept showing like her. What she, it wasn't a suicide. She was running like, away from Barnabas. To throw myself off because I'm depressed. She it, was run, she was running away from Barnabas. She was Barnabas. scared. Yeah, and, and this one, I mean, this is, I mean, this time, this is an actual suicide because she does. There is a thought process here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what we get, which this is what I. I mean, this is the first. We're getting to areas now where this is the first time I'm seeing anything. I mean, all the all the stuff up before this point, I've I've seen before. Now I'm getting to new territory where this is all new to me now. But what's going on from this point forward? Okay. And um, and I found because I thought what would happen is that she commits suicide, and then we'll go back to 1890. Seven, and we find out what happens with Kitty, which we don't. So, is no, Edward going to marry Kitty? Is Kitty and Edward still there? Where's Quentin? Where's Quentin? 
Edmonton going to be around somewhere? Because Potofsky's gone now. Is he back? So now we have a lot of... We, we, we killed off everyone that was basically a villain. We're left with the neutral family at the moment. You know, and now we're just kind of like... And then we go back in time because Kitty becomes Josette and through the picture. And then she's... Kitty is somewhere inside Josette. Barnabas is trying to work that out and sort of thing. And then she commits suicide. So... Yeah, so we have a lot more questions that were kind of answered. Maybe the reason for that was because I I agree with you. I think that it would have been nice to have continued and really wind up the plot in 1897. What they did was after they went back to 1969, Julia's hearing voices from the past. And if you remember, there's a conversation in this block she hears between Magda and uh, Pansy. And she hears this conversation between them and that it's apparently been two weeks since Kitty has disappeared and Edward is running around looking for her and he can't find her. And he, and he followed, and he, and he, and he followed Barnabas. Uh, you know, he, he followed Kitty who went into the old house and then he saw Barnabas goes into the old house. So he's convinced now that Barnabas is trying to take Kitty away from her. And, but by the time he gets there, uh, they've both gone. Uh, to 1796, but he, they disappeared, and that's where it is. So I think there was a feeble attempt to try and uh, wrap that up, uh, so to speak. But uh, what about um, Charity? Does she go back to being trust doctor no, again? No, she does not go back. No, no. Okay, because I mean, with the toffee dad, I didn't know that like, same thing. Because I will. Once I will, the toffee dies, we don't. Any after effect that we've had with her character, we don't know because she does, we don't see her again. Well, we got we've got the the painter too. That all this was because of Patofi. Well, he comes. He, his character is coming back in this block. He, right. That's right. We'll, we'll but I will. Scene. But I will also tell you that although we don't hear from Pansy Fay again, we will, and this is much later on in the show, hear from. Letitia Fay. Yeah. And we will talk, we will tell the fans, the new fans, uh, we'll have to wait. Uh, the old fans know who Letitia Fay is. And so we will see the I Wanna Dance with you. Don't get me going. I forgot that song for like three days now. Oh, I found myself cleaning and singing you. that song. It's just wanna like. Dance your cares away. Yeah, I I'll be so close to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to dance with you. And she's leading oh, yeah. around the room because the, the, she's afraid if he falls asleep, then if Quentin falls asleep, then Patafi will take his mind over again. So she's. I love go. Nancy Barrett in these scenes. I love her in these scenes. She's, she's fantastic. Well, she's great. She's great. In fact, at the, the very same show, she plays Carolyn in that show. And then you hear the voiceover of uh, Pansy. And it's the same. And it's the same one. And you'll see the voiceover of Magda while Julia's there because Julia's listening to the both of them. So it's really, so it's really kind of interesting to hear, you know, these, uh, these, this actress doing two interpretations. And by the way, Paul Stoddard, 
That's in here. That's in this block. Yeah. Yeah, that's in our next. We'll be discussing that when we discuss it. Oh, we're going to do that in our next. Yeah, in we'll our- be in, we're going to do the whole present day because we're going because we now go back into the present. Okay, day. so is that going to be in our next uh, thing? Or no, is that- no, it's in our next scene. We'll discuss. Oh, next that. scene. Okay, sorry about that. But we're still we're still in seventeen ninety six at the moment. Okay. Okay. Well, seventeen ninety six. I got to tell you, aside from seeing Ben, and I enjoyed seeing Mister Barnabas. You know, again, and, uh, yeah, know. Mr. Barnabas. I, I love and him. I Natalie love Dupree. Mr. Barnabas. I missed you. Well, because she gets hit by Barnabas. Got a spot in the stables for you, Mr. Barnabas. Don't say anything, Ben. You know, no, I, 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 but aside, and it was nice to see a couple of them portray the 1790. It was, uh, you know, Fair David as Ben Stokes is classic and, Catherine Lee Scott as Josette is classic. But other than that, I really kind of felt this reprise was disappointing. They you got to really- change Barnabas's character as well, because he, he's, he's actually like, no, I don't want you to run away with me. No, that's not going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's, you know. Although he, he, did, he did bite he's, Natalie. He's in modern day a- Barnabas mindset now. With, yeah. Right, right, I thought that right. was a little bit interesting. I think they could have gone a little bit further because after this is over with, that's this is where I thought I'd missed an episode somewhere because I was like, boom, it's like, what the hell happened? Right. Sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, I do agree that I think they gave it some more time to breathe or give it some more because we get Barnabas talking to Josette and said that you're not really Josette, you're actually Kitty at some point. And then they don't really chase up, chase up after that because when she's walking around the set, then she decides that she's okay, that she's okay to become a a child of the night, I guess. And I have a question: like, Would Leviathan have happened had Barnabas not gone back? Not gone back to seventeen. Uh, that is a good question. You know, I think maybe maybe that's what spurred it on because if you got this one character that keeps passing back and forth through times, and maybe whatever the Leviathan is going to be, maybe maybe that kind of thing pops up on your radar when people are pass going from time frame to time zone all the time frame to time frame. Maybe I was half expecting the Slee stack. You know, (laughs) well, the question basically is: is that you know the seventeen ninety six ends. Very well. I think I think the ending was exciting. I was quite. I was like, "Whoa, this is different." I'm liking this. Yeah. Where they, they meet up with him, and then we end up in. Well, we might as well do the synopsis of this um, now. Um, the Leviathan capture Barnabas. They give him a lockbox and make Barnabas their master. In 1969, Collinwood, Julie and Carolyn meet Megan and Philip Todd, um, basically gay Philip with his beard, Megan, who own an antique shop. <laughs> Professor Stokes tries to restore Sabrina's memory. Julie is mystified by Barnabas's strange behavior. In a dream, Oberon, the Leviathan, tells Barnabas how to recognize the chosen one. Barnabas gives Megan the Leviathan box. 
A sound indicates something has may have escaped from it. A mysterious stranger introduces himself as Carolyn's father, Philip's or oh, Paul's daughter, sorry. Leviathan oh, child okay. has come to oh. stay with Philip and Megan. Do we ever get so, to see this Leviathan child? Is this a, is this a takeoff of Rosemary's baby? Uh, combination. No, Rosemary's baby really. hasn't come out yet. Rosemary's baby is nineteen sixty nine. No, 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 sixty eight. Sixty eight. Yeah. So this is more Lovecraft. This is more Lovecraft. Okay, I was just wondering if they did a little rip off here. That's all. This is so, more, yeah. so talking about Barnabas is when he meets the Leviathan in seventeen seventy six. Do they are they do they zap him into nineteen sixty nine Collinswood? Is that what happens on that altar? Or I think he, so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's not living a life in dormant somewhere, and all of a sudden wakes up and. Okay, but are these people taking are these things aliens, leviathans, whatever, taking over Barnabas's mind and body? Yes. Barnabas exists no more in the shell of a vampire man that he is, right? Well, he's, he's somebody else because he's cured now, isn't he? Well, they're calling him master. You know, he's not. I don't think he's a vampire. Although I don't want to say. We're going to look in the other blocks uh, coming up. But at this point, well, I think at uh, this time, I think at this time juncture at the moment, he's not a vampire because he got he's cured human. in eighteen ninety five. He's human, but he's seventeen. He's human, but he's not. Human. But he's possessed. He's possessed. Okay, by I, I'm just trying to figure out what exactly these beings are to. These people, I mean, they immediately get mind melded somehow. The demons, the demons. Because what's the what's his name? Todd, uh, something Todd. He played Alan Spaulding in The Guiding Light. I remember him. Philip Todd. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, Christopher Burnell. What what the hell Burnett. is he wearing when we first see him? He's wearing a jumper with a little <laughs> belt around the waist, and he looks like one of those dancers from an Andy Williams Christmas. <laughs> <guy>. <laughs> That's mean. <laughs> and I was like, I was like well, first of all, I was like, when he's wearing the belt around his waist, I was thinking, I was like, is he wearing a belt around his waist? Well, this like, is this? the sixties. He was trendy. You know, women, women used a belt around the waist, not men. <laughs> Maybe he was in touch was with like, his feminine like, side. Like, and he's really camp. I'm sorry, but everything's like, oh. I can see the there's a little bit. I can't wait to get the Hitchcock chair. I hope Barnabas gives us the Hitchcock chair. (laughs) So lovely. (laughs) His wife's going, yeah, dear. That's funny. Yes, dear. His beard, but yeah, I mean, he's really can't. I mean, when I looked him up and found out he was Alan Spaulding, I mean, I loved. Guiding light. At the so did I. I mean, you know, Nolan and all that sort was of. Was he? Didn't time. he have an affair with Vanessa? Didn't him and Vanessa used to fart around all the time? Yeah, he was a doctor. And, you know, he was quite the stud on that show. I remember that. I, he I remember would know. That. He was like a tycoon. He was like a J.R. Ewing kind of thing. Yeah, and I remember the storyline with Nola, 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 and Quentin. Yeah, Quentin McCord. So, but when I saw him in this, I just thought to him, I was like, oh my God, this guy escaped from Boys in the Band. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, That's funny. Was he gay? Uh, yeah. yeah, he was. But, yeah, he was. But saying this, I have to sit there and say something happened when they go in modern day because if you notice, everything kind of has a new look to it. It's like the color, ch- there's like a color change going on with like something. The yeah. Change. There's a different hue. You're trying new things and stuff like that. And, uh, and I like it. And I love Jonathan Fred is fantastic at the moment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
And He's gotten cold and scary again. And hard reminds me of the original Barnabas in a way. Yeah. yeah. He's back. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's back. Well, and there, another thing I like about him as well, there's this odd, creepy-ass, freaky-as-hell charm about him. So you're like, you're kind of like freaked out by him, yeah. but you're, you're, he's very charming as well. And, and to be able to pull that off. He's and, always been charming. But, yeah, but, well, here, there, but there, there is like a sappiness to him. I always thought, you know, yeah. when Barnabas, when you first see Barnabas, it's like, you know, they didn't know what to do with him. Sort of thing. Then you go to 7095, and then we kind of got, then we got sappy Bar- Barnabas, and you know, well, you got Barnabas sympathetic porn, Barnabas. Sympathetic and all the other stuff. And this, is not, this is not a sympathetic vampire or a sympathetic yeah. person either. He's probably sympathetic. You, know, you see the way he rejected Julia? You know, yeah. he almost yeah. he almost told her to get the hell out of his life, and 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 she was hurt and she couldn't understand it. And then he then he thought again and he figured, well, maybe I can use her. You know, the way he's always we, used her. So he slithers. Then we got Barnabas. He's like solving solving the mysteries of Colin, the Collins family. You know, we, I mean, we got a lot of different Barnabas. But yeah. in this presentation, we got we got something that we've actually never seen as far as Jonathan Fred is concerned. Right. And that's what I love about him. I, I, mean, I love the love about, you know, this. I mean, I don't, you know, we're in the beginning stages. So I don't, I'm not, I, right. I said before, this is all new to me. So I don't know how this is going to pan out. We're, we're going to, the you'll moment see. like, yeah, I'm liking this. In the meantime, you know, he also rejects Chris Jennings. Is, so did you help yeah, him? Yeah, he doesn't want to help him. He's asking I'm afraid, for help. I'm afraid we haven't found anything. Yeah. And he's like, what? After all this time, you have After to all anything. this, you can't help me. You can't help me? I mean, what is going, you know, then that's where, and of course, you know, and then they, the, the frustration between Chris and Carolyn. But I do want to mention uh, Paul Stoddard now coming into the scene, who is played by none other than Dennis Patrick, mm-hmm. who played, who played during McGuire. the first year, Jason McGuire. Jason I have to say that I had to have take him because he looked different. I know I didn't recognize him at first, and I go, "Oh, it's Jason McGuire." Well, if you look very closely, and I caught another blooper, you know the first the first time they have him, and they don't give him a credit, but he's in the shadows, and he right. You see, you see him with the shoes and everything, and then you see him walking around the old house, and that, and then like near the end of the episode, at one point the camera, although everything is dark, you can look at his face. He was not wearing a mustache in that episode. Okay. And no, then, he wasn't. You caught it. Good for you, Vic. Good. That's why I didn't recognize him when he was talking to um. To Maggie, I go, who is that? Because Good. the other guy didn't have a mustache. Good for you. Good for you. But well, when he first appeared, I thought he was part of the Leviathan storyline. Now, it turns out, no, nope, turns out he isn't. And we'll have to see what happens with that. But, uh, and, and it's interesting. I it was that weird that David thought that Carolyn was, might be stooping here. <laughs> it's like, oh, that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a mentality. That old man, my boyfriend, come on. <laughs> There's that there's that hint of incest again, but but it's interesting that uh, the same actor who two years ago, who in the first year is Jason McGuire, uh, dug the dug the pit and pretended to bury Paul Stoddard and then sent him yeah. on his way. Now the actor is playing Paul Stoddard. Yeah. Uh, so the, so well, that's a totally different take on what really happened that night. 
and this with the and, trunk and the and you know and the the, the robbery oh, yeah, and yeah he gives us another version of the story as well that's right that's right yeah that uh mcguire it does tie in a little bit with elizabeth's story but it doesn't tie a in little bit told him that elizabeth was trying to was trying to rob from him and you know so it made it made mcguire out to be a real uh, uh you know somebody's playing both sides of the fence uh but but so this Paul, who who knows? But this Paul Stoddard, this Paul Stoddard is a much more sympathetic, a much more sympathetic, Genteel. and he's yeah, yeah. He's really trying to reach out to the lost daughter. Yeah. Uh, whereas the original uh, Paul Stoddard couldn't have cared less. Quick question, Maggie? Did, I, you never really saw what he asked Maggie to do. When he was, you know, I, the Carolyn. Yeah, about Carolyn. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Maggie seemed a little basically didn't get her to the blue whale because I I want to meet her. That's pretty much I think that's what Yeah, I know, talking. but didn't Maggie seem a little loopy? It wasn't like Maggie to do something like that though, was it? Yeah, but there seemed to be a connection be- between Paul and her father, Sam. Right. They were friends. And this is and and when when uh, he mentions that. Uh, when he mentions that, then it's all, you know, I mean, then Maggie warms up to him. Uh, and I guess there's a, but it, it did seem a little strange for Maggie to like, uh, almost take a Burke Devlin kind of stance, like, you know, whale, you know, like, come on, we're out for the night. Let's drink. drink. Let's drink. We're out for the night. You know, that's very unlike Maggie. That's very unlike me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was just weird. And I was wondering, did somebody do the, you know, Vulcan mind meld on her already? I think she's sick and tired of being governess to the kids. I think she wants to have some fun. I don't blame her. I would be day drinking if I had to take care of David. The time thing's a bit weird as well, we find out. Because he tells Paul that Sam's been dead for about six months. Who's this? Maggie tells... Paul Stoddard. She says she said that he was dead for six months. I missed that. Yeah, something. As, as that is definitely. Yeah. Like, excuse me. Really? I mean, it's I, possible. You've had a lot of going back in time and all this other stuff that's been going on. So I'm glad you told me. I got to look that up. There'll be another blue. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah it's, it's like you know, it's like when when he first appears to Maggie, he says something, something like six months, or maybe it was a year or something like that. But Sam's been gone for a couple of years, hasn't he? Yeah. Oh, he died. Uh, he, uh, well, he died in um, before they went to. He died before they went to eighteen ninety seven. So he died in sixty eight. And where are we now? Are we sixty nine? Then again, I mean, it could be possible because again, we had time travel again. So might have history might have been changed. That's what I'm and saying. So Do you your, think that maybe and so this is your explanation? Everything. Rather than you know, the writers goofed, which probably did happen, you could always well, say. I mean, if I if I go back in time and I decided I want to spend five years between, and I want to live in eighteen ninety to eight nineteen hundreds, and then I did, and then when I decided to come back here, I decided I'm going to come back here on the twenty sixth of February, twenty twenty two. You can do that, and so only a day is going to pass here. We're basically you lived five years in the past, I guess. So it is possible. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but the thing is, we do have her as a governess because after because we have the Eve storyline that happened and the other stuff that happened in the present time. 
So that's the pro- That's where you get a bit the, fuzzy. The question is: Is she still the governess though? Because she's moving back now to her old house. No, so, she's renting it out. I thought she's living at Collinwood. Yes, oh, I thought she was. Oh, she's renting it out. She's okay. cleaning it out because okay. she's waiting for another renter to come in. I think. Okay, I got you. Yeah. I got you. She's okay. renting it because she still because she said that when she leaves, you know, that David and Amy. Obviously, Amy's still there. We haven't seen her. But. Yes. Amy and well, Chris are still she's there. there. You know, they're doing their homework, and you know, then they'll go to their bed, and you know, and then mm-hmm. and David's still at two. Doesn't goes, matter what century you're in. Well, it's like David funny. did not miss a step at being a wise ass at all. David, David's reaching mature. Uh, David's going through puberty, so definitely, <laughs> definitely. Watch out. My ask Maggie to join her. Like the face and everything start changing, and yeah, he's starting to sprout as well. Starting to fill in. I ask Maggie to join them in the closet or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have yes. to say, Marie Wallace as um, Megan. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't recognize her as Marie. Wallace I didn't either. I was looking for the sexy lingerie lady, you know. And then you come up with uh, June Cleaver from Leave yeah, It to Beaver. Yeah, June Cleaver. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And where uh, did the baby come from? Does that what escape from the box? Immaculate the conception. Huh. The app, the opposite of immaculate conception, apparently. But well, yeah, the, the, the box uh, is Pandora's box, isn't it? Sort of thing. It, in, in a way, in a way. But what I couldn't understand is, you know, that book that they took out of the box. Right. That book looks too big for that box. It is. How the David? How the, how the David smuggled it out of the shop? I know. I, I didn't even see him steal it. I didn't see that either. I didn't see that either. That was that, that was cool. Well, you know, David at this point is such a pro that even the cameraman can't see him taking it out. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. That's funny. Yep. Yep. And then I have to, it's kind of weird because and then there's this, I mean, this tail end, I mean, I'm loving it. And, I, you know, and I don't, you know, I don't have, I don't have any criticism, but these are just kind of weird things I kind of notice that normally, like in the beginning, Getting a storyline, they're they're quite late, but there are some little, little in, in, you know inconsistencies here. Like Carolyn says that she just met these two people. She right. goes there with um, Julia. Right. Next thing you know, okay, I'll come and help you the next day. So she goes and helps them like they act a bit weird, and then she sits there and then Carolyn says something really weird about that. Oh, that this is her new full time job, and or oh, no, this is her full time job. She's been there a while. And like, yeah. I think it was part time. <laughs> I think she was working part time at first because then, of okay. course, when the Leviathans take them over, um, Philip Todd says, uh, We're going to need you now every day. Uh, oh, okay. you know, so so did Dan Curtis use storyboards for his, right. his show? Did he use storyboards? Or anything for continuity, I'm sure they or is, storyboards for, or is he just making this shit up as he's going along? Oh no, 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 no! <laughs> Writers have meetings. Well, no, uh, I don't mean that. I mean, but I'm just saying. I mean, I'm I think, just. I, I see it. I don't think they had a Bible. I don't think they had a Bible. Okay. No, not at that point. Not, not at that point. They did I mean, originally. Now, nowadays, what you do is you have a series and you have a Bible, and everything goes in this Bible. And the Bible divide. I mean, it's easier in computer now than it was. In, Anyway, but what you, you have each character, you have each character story arc, and then you have everyone that that character's been involved with, and then and then meanwhile, then you'd also have like storylines of each character and what's happening with each one. And that's what you do with a Bible, right? But um, Kat, when we asked Kathleen Lee Scott that, or I think it was Kathleen or 
someone from there, and they said no, they didn't have a Bible that time. They they, they didn't they didn't need Bibles. They kind of just. And the thing is, is you know, you got to remember, there's a team of writers, but those team of writers are not the same team of writers. Year no, that's true. Year. Violet Wells continues to do uh, a good job. You know, Violet Wells was in the first year, and they brought her back with the Clinton thing, and she apparently is still writing into this uh, particular area. What I thought was interesting is that Robert Costello, who produced the show all mm. this time, is now for some reason replaced by Peter Miner, and I have no idea mm. who Peter Miner is, and so I don't know what what happened with that uh but that's just the that's just the kind of a footnote at this point well we also find out about Tell- um, charles delaware tate that he lived and yeah and he, he's like a hundred thousand years old now uh, yeah whether <laughs> he's still alive nearly a hundred nearly a hundred oh i did want to re- i did want to bring up something um and of course going back to 1796 uh, was it or was 1897 1897 when uh when um What's her name? Uh, when Catherine Lee Scott's character, when Kitty Sims goes into Josette's room, you see for a couple of days the artist Compton, and then the year seventeen ninety seven is uh, is under is under the portrait is in the lower right hand side of the portrait, which uh, she used to kind of make the connection, uh, which Kitty used to kind of make the connection between eighteen ninety seven and seventeen and then seventeen ninety seven, which is also ridiculous because it was seventeen ninety five, but for two days you've got Compton's picture there, and then all of a sudden it disappears. All of a sudden, it disappears. There's no more. Uh, there's no more signature. Uh, so I think. Right. The, so that's a, uh, you know. So that, that's another good. I'm sorry, I didn't mention that before. I have to sit there and say that um, I, I I like that Charles Delaware State tie back, and I like yes. that 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 all his earlier stuff was missed is missing because of the fire. I like right. that. It's like, oh, this mm-hmm. is good. So, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of, right. I don't remember any of that. So this is like through fresh eyes. So I'm kind That's of excited. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually I'm actually getting really excited about this as well. I I, I mean um I you know let's see where it goes. I'm I'm optimistic, but I've sit there say that you know I, I was really enjoy. I was like, oh, this I've heard so much about the Leviathan storyline anyway. And I said before we we've only seen three episodes, four episodes of it. So a lot of the people, a lot of fans didn't like the Leviathan no. because because you don't have a sympathetic Barnabas anymore. No, he's cold, and and they don't they didn't like that. They missed. They missed what was going on there. And you will also see, and I guess I can, in, in subsequent blocks, they, tin, they tinged Jonathan's hair with gray. They and did? Said, yeah, they will. They will. Not now. I was going to say, I didn't notice that yet. No, it's not yet. They will. I mean, like, look at them like, that can't be him. You know, they, it was like they were trying to change his persona. You know, and uh, give him a, you know, and give him such an evil look. And, I just want to uh, know who painted that portrait of Quentin. Oh, it's Charles. Charles Delaware Tate. No, I mean, no, an actual about the life. Real <laughs> it's just like, they that doesn't look nothing like it. He's got oh. these big eyes, like dollar signs. Oh, oh, who really did? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That's funny. Okay, that's David Selby, Pat. That would I be know. A, There's so I, many uh, things in retrospect. I, well, I actually thought the him. picture of Andy wasn't great either. It's like, okay, the, Charles Delaware State's will be brilliant. <laughs> I just like the name, though, Charles Delaware Tate. It sounds like an artist, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Although Tate is German for death. 
But if Patafi died, didn't that mean that he lost his his magic Apparently to, to art? Apparently he didn't, and that's an interesting thing. Uh, maybe in a case like that, it sticks with you. Uh, if, uh, if the person who had the hand died, and maybe that's why Ch- no Pansy is still Pansy. That's what why happened Pansy to Magda? As, are we going to have some closure on Magda? No, except for that conversation you heard. Or, uh, or though she was a ghost that showed up prior. Magda, disapp- I mean, Magda disappeared off the face of the earth anyway. Once, um, yeah. Yeah. once after Julia shows up with that one time, and then he had the one. I was just wondering if they tied up a loose end I might have missed. That's all. No, they did, like yeah. I said, they did have that conversation between Magda and Pansy that, that Julia heard. Uh, but other than that, I think that's it. Well, I like Magda. I mean, the thing is, mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. Barnabas from England, not because they think now he's actually from England and they think. You know, Edward, no one's been able to wrap their head around that storyline. Right. So Barnabas has now disappeared. So I, so as far as Edward and everyone living that storyline, I mean, they're going to be really confused because all these people just disappeared overnight. <laughs> so Everybody's you know, gone. Kitty Jameson gone. and Nora. I don't know when Josette, you know, when Josette takes the poison, does Kitty bounce back and loses all memory. We don't know anything about Trask Eddie. is starving to death in the dark. And then he shoots. Well, yeah, but, I mean, I, I mean, I don't think, I don't think anything's going to change there. I mean, he's just going to die slowly. Well, he'll, he'll die in the dark because he keeps. No, no, he shot him because Liz and he has and a certain number of candles, so that's not going. He's going to have life for very too much longer. <laughs> Judith called him up on the phone and told him to look into the desk drawer, and then there's something that's a, a nice surprise for him. Yeah. Yeah. And he found the nice surprise. It was yeah. a gun. And then he oh, that's him. right. He shot himself. I was kind of hoping he was going to starve. No, nah, he shot well, himself. Much more painful. <laughs> Took the coward's way out. Oh, I think I think the best bit of that whole thing, and I I, I was like rude to go, yeah, go you go, girl. Um, when I'm gonna, she calls him up on the phone, she goes, oh, I love something bright and cheery for you. Yeah, curtain. she didn't <laughs> leave enough candles. He so had that coming, though. I mean, it's just like, yeah, go bet, you know, go Judith. I mean, I was so happy that she oh, really... finally grew a nutsack and did something with him. Uh, and with everybody was, else that was trying to like bull her over for money and everything else. I really like when, when he first, he heard some, some kind of a, when he was first locked in and he heard this knocking and I guess they were building up the wall and he said, Judith, is that you? Are you repenting your sin? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What a hypocrite. What a, uh-huh. you know, a lustful, dirty old man. He gets all he was. Just like just his uh, great-great-grandfather. I'm just trying to figure out what women were interested in him. He didn't have nothing to offer. Oh, Trask. Yes. Well, it's papiety, isn't it? Some some women, you know, it's a bit like some women fall in love with, like, the minister or the priest, and they're never that good-looking. Yeah, you pray, the piety, you the holier than thou, it's just, he's going to save me from whatever thing you think right, you're going right, through. Right, right, he prayed on them. Yeah, yeah so it's savior complex that some women get with for men. Oh, this woman, this man's going to save me. So like saving yourself, sort of thing. I have no I idea why the hell he ever married Minerva. God, I mean, she what could she have said? A very pretty woman back in the day. I think no, I think Minerva probably is, a long day. Minerva is that sanctimonious woman that if you're a preacher, it's fantastic to have at your side because that kind of put 
whatever spiel that's coming out of your mouth, she's kind of proving that, you know, you can be, you can be just like this person here and you kind of need that. You know, you don't want, you don't want to be, you know, I mean, cause let's be honest. If, if you're heading a church, you don't want to be, you don't want to be married to a beauty queen now, do you? They, <laughs> to a what? They never are because queen. it paints the wrong image, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. You always that's why the they get room. caught with everybody. Like, you know, brother swagger. I have seen. You always, always have to kind of look like a librarian, don't they? Preacher's wives always look like a librarian for some reason. But he wanted her bumped off, so she must have really gotten on his nerves sooner or later. Well, well I think found she found out money. about his womanizing, and that's why. Well, and also, he found a better money opportunity as well, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, you can either go out with the church mouse or go out with the city mouse, and the city mouse is yeah, more guess. money than the church mouse. <laughs> that's funny. So much going on, and there's just so much going on. So much change, so many endings and new beginnings. Lots going on in this end of this block. We'll have a lot to go. We'll have a lot more to go. Thank God. Let's talk about our best storyline and our worst storyline. Start with you, Tom. Your favorite storyline in this section and your worst storyline. I would. Just looking at this, it's kind, it's kind of, because I know the 1796 was, I'm going to say the 1796 was the worst storyline. I can tell you that right now. Uh, it wasn't very was conclusive, was it? It was just two weeks, two days. They didn't really, they didn't really do that much. It was too it. quick. Yeah, yeah. It was way uh, too quick. I know yeah. they didn't have enough time. They they were on a, you know. But okay, yeah. It was too and, quick. I Yeah, and, and I do think that, Patafi's story would probably be because of the switch, the switch of uh, the minds, and basically because of the superb way Selby handled that. Right. Uh, I think that he kind of elevated. It was an okay plot, but he elevated it. He elevated it to a point of sinister. You love to hate him, and uh, you were really afraid. And that, uh, yeah, and that episode where he actually saw the present day Collinwood when he went through Eching himself. Just for just for a minute, brief minute, yeah. Just for a brief minute, and you see Maggie walking down the stairs, and and uh, you know to find out who the, it was. And Quentin's he, in the drawing room, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 Quentin was in. Was he in the drawing room or in the cellar? I'm trying to remember. I think he was in the drawing room. He had okay. like a turtleneck on. I remember. Oh, that. you're talking about. Oh, wait a minute. You talking about? When he when, when he somebody returned? came back into time, they 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 knew that Quentin was there. Was that when Quentin went forward for a brief time? No, there was an, there was another one of them went into the future and saw Quentin with a saw Quentin with sideburns because they didn't know what to do with him yet. They put sideburns in the tie that was too long with a gun in his hand, and I forget. Yeah, which, that might have been Charles. I think that might have been Charles. Okay, uh, I can't remember now. Yeah. But the one I'm talking about in this block where he, where he goes and he's dressed as Quentin and, uh, you know, and he sees everything and then something pulls him back. I think somebody discovered him and threw the wands on the floor or something like that. Right. Pissed. Uh, but, uh, but the way that was, I remember watching that as a kid and I was like, when I saw him, I never, you know, for some reason I said, I never thought he was going to make it to the present. And here he is. Here he yeah. is looking at Collinwood as Pitafi. And in that moment, you get a sense of, oh, my God, if he stays that way, uh, Collinwood will be no more. And but he was but he was whisked back. 
but I, so I think that Patafi's story is, uh, and the Garth Blackwood. Oh my God. I did yeah. enjoy, uh, yeah. John Harkins as Garth Blackwood. I enjoyed Blackwood. that myself. And he was a, he was a great villain. Uh, he with his uh, tufted eyebrows and everything. And, I mean, know, he just, he just wouldn't go away. He refused <laughs> to go away. They, they shot him. <laughs> They shot him, and he uh, and they tied his hands up, and he then he just got up and started going right at it again. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Charles Tate shot him in the back. And he goes to show you what a brave guy he is. Uh, but then he, uh, but then he gets up and starts going right after. So I, I really do think that uh, those two things, the Garth Blackwood thing, and uh, the in Quentin, I think this elevated it, and that's my favorite scene. Keith? What about yourself, Vix? Favorite storyline? I would have to say, God, these are so many storylines to pick from. I I liked the part where Angelique and, um, and, uh, oh my God, I'm having a blow. Oh God. Grayson Hall. When she's, when she's not, yeah, when she's not Magda, but she's, Julia. Julia. Oh my God. Thank you for helping me speak. I loved that interaction with them for however long that lasted because I was not expecting that. I did not remember that. And I just loved watching those two get together. I just thought it was fantastic. And you didn't know what they were up to because like going in that other room, but apparently we're trying to make sure Barnabas was could deal with sunlight. I think that's what they were doing. They were, I don't know where she got those drugs from in, in 1897, but she did. The drugstore. The drugstore. She called the pharmacy, Compton's Pharmacy. To turn a vampire and let him enjoy the Julia, day. With? Julia had started to give to, to, uh, to cure him. Right. And she was there. So she must have given him, except for one last injection. Right. And it's implied that she told Angelique what to do. Right. Uh, so that's why she got those. Uh, so that's why she got those pharmaceuticals. I was just what, really pleased to see the two of them interact together, other than arch enemies. But what you're talking about with the sunlight was where, uh, where the doctor, where Quentin, is Patafi, and Edward had Barnabas in the doctor's office, right? And they wanted, and of course, Quentin wanted to shoot him right away in the doctor's right. Said, you can't do that in my office. So and Edward says, It's all right, the sun will be, but that rising. was Patafi technically at that time. No, no, no. This was Barnabas. This is Barnabas. Yeah, when, when they found Barnabas. But, right. but Quentin wasn't Quentin at that time, though. That's and that's right. why he, he wanted Patafi. to kill Barnabas. That's right. That's right. That's right. And he wanted to kill him with a gun. And yes. Edward said, no, because Dawn is coming up and we can see him die Let that him way. die that way, yeah. And then Dawn happens and he's still there and Barnabas says, thank God. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Save by the good- bell. That was great, actually, because you, I, as a viewer, you didn't know what the hell was going on there. It was like, what is Barnabas come back, or is he in another? Is he That's what was so brilliant about that. Yeah, it's confusing a little bit. All the fans could not figure that out. How is it possible that he can be in two places at once? And and, and then the, when they and then when they explain themselves, it makes sense that in this world it wasn't something quantum theory. Like something threw out at, the, at you. It's like, oh, well, that's quite cool, actually. I like that. 
By the uh, way, Angelique used the doppelganger thing once before in the pre in the previous block uh, when uh, she was in the old house and somebody tried to set her on fire or something. That oh, that's right, that's right. That was a doppelganger. So they so they took that and they just transferred it over to uh, and everybody forgot about it because it was only done like 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 in a couple of scenes. So it was really brilliant. They were able to, they were able to pull it off. I just liked watching them get together. The the tough the tough women getting together to save the day. There you go. There you go. What was your worst then? My worst. I'm going to have to agree with Tom about that, that last little 1796, 1797 thing. It lasted like an episode or two. And it two was episodes. Just, it's horrible. It didn't, it didn't. I thought it was too abrupt, I guess. I, I don't know. I, 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 I was kind of having, I was getting a little hopeful again that that Josette might not die and she might live to have a fulfilling life, you know, because everything happened to her. She was a victim of circumstance, you know, but it didn't. She ended up killing herself. So you're going to see something much later on. Right. Regarding what if she had lived? And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you always say that. It's all my favorite Coming back from the sanitarium, making friends with charity. Putting out that photo of Amanda. <laughs> What's that? I said, becoming fun, becoming friends with Pat's Pansy. Oh, no. and then and then you know having Pansy bring out the you know bring out the painting, and then you know then getting together with Tim and let's vault you know let's vault him up behind the wall sort of thing, and and then the phone call she's having with him. Pure that genius. is funny. That that really is Loved great. I'm just like it caught me totally by surprise. It's happening, and I'm going, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah like good that. for Judas. So coming. He yeah. so good had that Judas. coming. And you could tell that Joan Bennett was having a whale of it. She was. She was. Yeah. And gave her so much control, and she had Evan change the will. Yeah, you know, and that was yeah. and that was so. So Tresk was going down to shoot at that point. And, and she's no uh, longer the doormat that she was for so many months. So it was fantastic. Well, she figured out he wasn't coming. Did she tell everybody he was going to see her, and he wasn't doing Jack? He was going out to see other women, and he was lying about Judy. <laughs> I'm just saying he had such great treatment at uh, Rush. I know I she's so she's still so withdrawn because we have to pray for her. I'll just pray. <laughs> Yeah, and you got then, Pansy Fag flitting around like a, you know. Oh, he a, hated that. Like Tinkerbell getting in his face. But an old crow. I thought that was funny. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess my worst storyline, I think it just has to be. Um, There's so it's many. Kind of rough because it, it's just. It's. Quentin as no, it's Patofi, the body of Patofi, Quentin inside, because we got a lot of the other way around with Patofi right. inside of Quentin. We got a lot of scenes about that. So I would have, I would have liked it if they, if we had a little bit more of the other way around as well, because that way we can have. We had sympathy for um, Quentin being stuck in Petoffi's body, right. and you wouldn't. You're stuck in a Mrs. Beasley doll, so with thick glasses on, so you know everyone's going to bully you and make fun <laughs> of you. But at the same time, I kind of wish we had more scenes of that because I think if we had more scenes, I would have given David 
there a lot more to play around with, and we don't get a lot for him to play around with. And so you feel sorry for him, but I just think they could amount that a lot more personally because you know they give you that you know they give you that feeling about what happened if this happened to you sort of right. So, and because if we had more of that, I think it would have paid. Because I love David Selby doing the opposite, and that was fantastic. And I know that Dave Ayer, I think if he was given more in the opposite way, I think he would have been able to do more with it. But I don't think he only had like a couple scenes here and there. And it kind of like, okay. He kind of made you feel sorry for him, though, really quick, because he was an old man with those big bottle cap glasses. And I felt sorry for him sometimes, even though he was so awful. He should, I just he I kept just losing his, like the bullies, you know. Average yeah. took the glasses off and you know yeah. treating him like a bully, you know. Yeah, and I just you know, and I just think that if he if I just think that they could have done better with that storyline I think what should have happened is that every time you saw that your heart should break every time you saw saw him stuck in Sophie's body. No one loved no one understanding him, no one everything. And, and we did get a little bit of that, but I think they could have milked it more. You know, it's just maybe, maybe so. For me personally, I just thought, because it, it's kind of a sad, pathetic thing, the horrible, a horrible thing to happen to you. And it, it'd be soul destroying. And I just kind of wanted more of the soul destroying to come out, sort of thing. I would have liked more backstory on him. Yeah. But, well, because especially by the time that we get to, by the time that this happens to Quentin, we Quentin has turned a new leaf as well, and he's he's become a different person. He will be, you know. It's like you know, he's he's become kinder. He's become friends with Barnabas. He's looking at the help, you know. He's looking to help the werewolf inside himself. But at the same time, he's looking to help you know other people, and, right? And you know, and he's in you know he does, you know he's in love with Beth now. He's Beth's no longer the doormat that she was for him. You know what I mean? There's a lot going on there with his character before he be, before this happened to him. And he kind of, yeah, they, I think they could have kept that, that the old Quentin in there and had that way you'd have this huge contrast with between Quentin stuck in Patafi and then the Patafi being in Quentin's body and Quentin acting that way. And that's another thing I had problems with that no one seemed to notice that Quentin's personality changed. Right, the had changed before that happened, so that's why. But I did like the idea of this. So let's go to favorite character and least favorite character of this block. So, Vicky, what's your favorite character and your least favorite character? I have a lot of favorite characters in this block. I really enjoyed. David Selby's performance and Nancy Barrett's performance. I love her as Pansy Faye. I don't know what kind of accent. I'm told it's Cockney, but I mean, that song has been stuck in my head ever since those episodes started. I find myself, I'm doing housework and I'm singing that song. I want to dance with you. you. (laughs) Dance your cares away. (laughs) But I mean, she she, she just lit it up doing that she was fantastic and i mean she has such a she has a um a range you know that you could finally see in some of these episodes and i just love her in these i love joan bennett and i love david selby i mean these are just all strong you know i mean they are david you can't go wrong but we have aristide 
I just can't get over the hump of not liking Aristide. I don't know why. Sometimes he's a useful character, but then sometimes it's like, what is he here for? What is he doing? And he's such a suck ass most of the time. Please, please help me. After he brutalizes somebody and then he's asking for mercy, please don't let him kill me. You know, it's like, fuck you. <laughs> it's like, come on, you know. I have, but to, I mean, I have to agree with our, uh, that character, actually. I had so much hope and I loved him at the beginning and then it kind of just. I know. It's just like, there's just, I don't know if they dropped the ball. I don't know what. I mean, we're going to give him a chance. He's coming back. So we'll see what happens, you know, in future episodes. But no, I'm my least favorite character has the honesty because I said before I loved him in the beginning. It's like, oh, this is quite good. I'm quite liking him. Yes, and then but he like, mellowed out by the time, like yeah, by the time that Scottish ghost is chasing around trying to kill him, and meanwhile <laughs> he's leading it to everyone so they can get killed in, in, in the wake. <laughs> so <it's> like, okay, <laughs> yeah, really yeah. Good. Um. But yeah, I just thought to myself, like, uh, yeah, I just, I, I was like, oh, you can go already. It's kind of like that. And, I, and it's a shame because I really liked that character to begin with. And it kind of just like, by the time it, it's time to go, I was like, okay, go. It's like, oh. and, and almost like when he just showed up, I was like, oh, you still here? It kind of was like, as my pop is like, what? You still alive? You still around? Exactly. Like, you know, like that person that you thought died and they keep knocking on your door looking for sugar. And you know, that neighbor died years ago. <laughs> You're like, what do you, I thought you got him. What are you for? But he was <laughs> so mean. And then he'd ask for mercy after all the horrible things he would do at the behest of a topi. And my favorite, I'm going to go with Nancy Barrett. And this, we got Nancy Barrett as Maleficent in this yeah. block. We got Nancy Barrett in this block. We got Nancy Barrett as Carolyn in this block. She's and fantastic, Millicent this too. whole block. And, and Millicent, too, in the 1795 block. She was fantastic. I mean, yep, we did Millicent, we did like, Carolyn, we did Charity, we did Pansy Faye. Did we leave anybody out? Yeah, we saw every single one of her characters in this block. And the thing is, you know, it makes you realize how underappreciated she is. She, yes. <laughs> because everyone goes on, I mean, you know, I love you, Catherine, but I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but everyone goes on about Kathleen e. Scott and they go on about Alexander Moki all the time and they go on about Laura Parker all the time and she's no, you're right you're right men, haven't mentioned at all and she's a she's a powerhouse she I mean, was, she is. She a, was a character. she's so petite too she, she was so her range was really yeah it's kind of like Faye David's range but she was able to play a character actress as as well as she was able to play Carolyn, who was essentially yes, exactly, you know, exactly. Yeah, and, 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 and so she really broke the stereotype because you're either the character actor like Thayer David was, you could never see him in the role of a normal guy, or you're uh, or you're the Carrie Grant, you know, that kind of but she's able to do both. And, and and that that I think is unique. I mean, even her English accent isn't bad. Even uh, the Cockney I mean, accent. Yeah, my uh, my English friends said that. they were like, "Oh, that's really good." You know what hey, I mean? Love. <laughs> I mean, um, hey, love. Hey, governor. Hey, but but I mean, you know, I'd sit there and say that. You know, I mean, 
the only thing I had against her is that when we went back to 1969, I think the eye eyeliner all the way around the eye was a bit too much. Oh, come on, Keith. Like, that like, was 1969. Come on, Keith, for Christ's sake. She was a great actress. She looked like she had Charlie Brown eyes. You know, it was like. I love her makeup. I was just, I was actually watching it like frame by frame to see if I could replicate her eyeliner. I love her eyeliner. The eye, 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 the the eye, the the but that, but was that has style. nothing to do with her acting. I'm just sitting there going, if I had to take, if I, that's the only negative thing I can say. Is like, oh, He's I'm nitpicking, Tom. Yeah, Keith is I, nitpicking. I, I'm I nitpicking do have to admit that. I love you, Nancy. I love your makeup. Better than Armistead's makeup. I'll just get... <laughs> <laughs> Anything's better than Aristide's makeup. Oh, and um, the, only, the only thing, I guess, for most honorable mention as one of the worst, is Philip Todd's wardrobe. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I'm going to go back. Is that the first episode? Because I didn't notice his wardrobe. I did. He looks like a backing dancer for Liza Minnelli in 1969. <laughs> From Cabaret. I guess I just don't notice that stuff. It's the purple belt on the, on the jumper. that, And the thing is, it's not at his waist. It's around his... It's up, up here. It's up around it's underneath his chest. And you're kind of... It's like that's what women used to wear around their. He's <laughs> like, okay, and he spends a lot of time with his hands on his hips. So it's like, oh yeah, here we go, girlfriend. Right. Let me take your hair out. Turn around, Carolyn. Let's give you give me a thrill, girl. <laughs> so, so, um, so Tom, who's your worst? Who's your favorite character of this block? I'm going to say the the worst one I really thought was uh, Philip Todd. Uh, I will I, I'll agree with you, uh, Keith, but I think he was, uh, you know, I I, did, I, I he, he just he just kind of like even even Marie Wallace, who at first uh, kind of was this father that was best one. Well, when she gets possessed, uh, she starts to change, and the evil comes out in her and he basically says yes i agree with you we're going to do you know that kind of thing so he was a, a bit of a wuss and he continues to be a wuss and we're going to see more of that uh in in, in later blocks i think in terms of the best uh, i am going to give it to david selby uh i love the way he did it was excellent i love the way he yeah i love the way he did the mind switch i love the way he commanded the scene uh, I, you know, and uh, there was a great sigh of. I think the, the, they were very, they were very brilliant on the show when he, when the minds were finally swapped to their original places, and uh, Patafius Quentin was in the woods and he and he fell on on onto the grass and they both screamed like crazy and then you heard Quentin's theme. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. And that was a wonderful way to say to the fans, "He's back." That was a wonderful. And everybody could breathe a sigh of relief. Quentin's back. 
That bastard. <laughs> bastard Petafi didn't get what he wanted. He's back. You know. <laughs> and it's deed, my boy. They are going to pay for what they've done. Yeah. Anyway, the, 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 so the, so definitely Selby uh, is my choice for best. As far as Philip and Megan are concerned, Philip and Megan Todd, it kind of reminds me of a Sophie Tucker joke. And we'll <laughs> change it to Megan and Philip, where Megan's in bed with Philip, and she go, and Philip says to her, "Megan, you have no tits in a tight box." And Megan says to Philip, "Get off my back." I wonder if Megan knows that her husband's gay. I guess we'll uh, we'll have to stay tuned for our next episodes. We'll be covering episodes from December 1969 to January 1970. Um, Those episodes, of course, if you want the exact number of episodes, um, they will be on our website. And, of course, that will be in our newsletter. We'll be a bit more thorough as far as our uh, episodes. Hopefully we'll know by then. Yes, we will. (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't have that information in front of me because I was a bit ill-equipped with it, you know, about putting everything together today due to other circumstances. So that's next. So remember, next month, Dark Shadows will be episodes from December 1969 and January 1970. And of course, our next episode for our book to screen, um, will be, uh, part of our Kings of Horrors, will be "Let the Right One In" by John Javid Lindvist, and the Swedish film from um, called "Let the Right One In." Our uh, make remake will be The Shining from 1979, Kubik, and we'll be covering the miniseries directed by Nick Garris, who's up against us for a Wando Award. Yeah. Um, his version of The Shining, which is actually written by Stephen King, which he actually preferred because it deals more with the Stephen King book, and Stephen King didn't like the Kubik version, so that'll be an interesting discussion. And of course, our 80s will be the German film Necromantic from <laughs> 1988. And Basket Case from 1986. So, it will be four days on the podcast. <laughs> Good night, Vicky. Good night. Good night, Tom. Good night, Keith and Vicky. Good night, everybody. Good night, Tom. Stay safe. And of course, go to our website before we go at www.llpodcast.com to make sure you put in your vote for the Rondo Award. And it'll be a quick, easy way, and we'll have that up in the next week or two. And of course, sign up for our newsletter, and there'll be a link for you there as well. Please remember us. And we'll see you next time. Good night, folks. Bye, everybody. Good night.